LBC 97.3. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, four minutes past four. Explain to... I cannot explain to myself, let alone to you, why Leicester Square is... Well, I know what they're there for. All the fans are out there, presumably to see Robert Pattinson. A very average person, if you ask me. I think I'm much better looking. But anyway, they're out there, corralled in cages. And they've sat there for three days. For three days. So, in other words, yesterday they were all out there. The the day before, they'd started assembling with their sleeping bed. They must stink to high heaven by now. He's not going to want to go anywhere near them. And so they're all there, and so they've now set up two cages. There's one which is outside the, uh, the M&M Centre, or whatever it's called, where they've got a lot of people there. I mean, to be honest with you, it, it does look like corralling. It's the best place for them, I suppose. And then eventually they will take the screens away, and because at the moment you can feed them. It's great fun. You can go along with buns and put them through, and then, sort of, then pull the bun away. That's quite exciting. And, and then there's another lot all the way around the side, which is a shame, because the, the actual... Screening is the other side of the square. It's our side of the square. So they put up all these big signs, presumably so that Robert Pattinson doesn't get his hands grubby with the with the fans who are the other side. They're nowhere near the action. Normally, they have them outside here, but because they've redesigned the square, presumably it's a security risk. I can only think that's what it is. But I feel so sorry for them. Three days. They quite clearly a don't wash, uh, and b. They're so obsessed with Robert Pattinson. And each girl, and it is predominantly girls and women, think that they stand a chance with him. Well, listen, you know, even his appetite can't be that big. Because there's loads of them out there. So it's, it's the fact that they, they might get a picture taken with him. Robert, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. But, I mean, then I've got some, uh, some stamina. Three days, and it's not till tonight. Not till tonight, the Premier. So Robert Pattinson will come down. We, of course, will have our, our showbiz reporters. Kevin and Charlie will be out there and uh, Joe and everybody else. And it'll be quite nice because they actually get to, to be with the celebrities, which must make all the people sitting in the square feel as jealous as heck. Because you actually get to... T- I remember saying to somebody the other day... Who was I talking to the other day? Oh, I was talking to one of the girls in the office. I was saying about Dave Berry. Now, Dave Berry and I got on really well together. He's, he's, ever so, he's ever such a nice guy. He really is. He's a very, very nice guy. And so she, she was so jealous because he was all over me like a rash. She said, because I really love him. I said, well, he's not interested in you, is he? You know, more interested in me. You know, I'm his best friend because I'm a radio presenter. I said, but I'll put in a good word for you, if you like. <laughs> so I can understand hero worship when you get the Robert Pattons. Because he's about the only one that I know. I've never seen a Twilight film in my life. I have no idea what they're about. They're a bit sci-fi. Ant Payne over on Capital doing the show now, he said to me, it's a sci-fi kind of... Well, it doesn't mean anything to me, because I don't do sci-fi. I don't do anything. But yesterday, God, yesterday was a great day. I had the best hour of my life yesterday. Well, I say the best hour of my life, because, as you know, I like thriving on other people's misery. You know, the more miserable somebody is, the happier I become. So I get off the train at Twickenham Station... Uh, do the usual thing, you're looking forward to seeing Brian and everybody else who's had his toes amputated because of his diabetes. Not his toes, all his nails. He's had all his nails taken off, which is where they do two injections in the nail and then they just prise it off. And so the nails come off because, you know, you don't want to lose your feet, do you, if you're a diabetic? And my diabetes is definitely getting worse. Oh, God, definitely getting Anyway, neither here nor there. So get off the train station, walk up, and as we walk along, there's this long bridge before you go through the swipe your card on the machine. There's police... Everywhere. Every, I've, I've never seen so many... Pl- I seriously thought there must have been a member of the royal family coming through because I've never seen so many people. I mean, it was just... There must have been 20 or 30 police officers there. 
dogs. Go outside the station. There's another load of police. They're all over the place in little groups of twos and fours. And so um, I didn't know what they were doing. And I thought, this is, this is interesting. So anyway, so we sort of, we, we sort of walk away and, um, and I'm thinking, what are the police there for? So, of course, curiosity got the better of me. I had to go back to watch later on. And what they were doing, we have a, we have a college in, uh, in Twickenham. In fact, we have a number of colleges around Twickenham. And they were testing for drugs. And what they were doing between 8 and 10 yesterday morning, British Transport Police, the Met Police and the dog handlers were there. And the dog just sits there as the people were coming through the barriers because what they were doing, they had people on the station in plain clothes to make sure that nobody got to the top, saw the police and did a runner because they've had a lot of drug dealing going on outside of uh, Twickenham underneath one of the railway bridges and they want to clamp down on it. And so, so they, they check students because by the very fact they are students, they're drug takers. OK, 90% of students do drugs. They do drink, drugs. I mean, most... I know it seems... I was talking to a police officer about it and I said, you know, my day... It, we, we, I'm sure we never had things like this. Nowadays, people think it's quite normal to have a puff on a marijuana cigarette or a reefer or something. I don't know what they call them. And, uh, you know, I was lucky to get a sherbet fountain. And uh, if we dealt in jelly tots, we were considered, you know, really racy-pacy. So they got them there. And what they were doing, and I thought this was strange, they, it, was, it was mainly men, two, two women I saw. I went back there for a good hour and a half. I sat there and watched them. And so the people would walk through, the dog would go round and then get excited if they'd taken drugs. Within 24 hours, they told me. Within 20, so if, in other words, if you'd smoked a joint the night before, the dog would know. And there's a very good chance that if you do smoke drugs, you're going to take some into college so you can have a puff, you know, in your break or something like that. And that's what they were looking for. There was one guy there. He must have been questioned. This is out on the street for about an hour and a half. And at one point, they then, first of all, they actually take his, his jacket off. This is in full view of everybody. Then they make him undo the belt on his trousers. Then they pull the trousers down. I kid you not. And they're patting his pants. I mean, I thought I was watching an assault. Seriously, I mean, it was, it was very strange. And they did this to a couple of them because apparently people, if they've got drugs, although you're not expecting the police to be there, why you put them in your pants? I've got no idea. That didn't kind of make any sense to me. I thought you just put it in your pocket. You know, they're not going to, they're not surely going to charge somebody for a little tiny bit of, of puff or something. Are they now? I don't know. So in the end, I reckon they probably must have stopped, let's err on the side of caution, say between eight and ten. Well, the cost of doing the operation. Must have been phenomenal. I didn't see anybody being taken away. There were lots of, you know, police around because as soon as somebody was taken, you know, as soon as the, the dog had recognised somebody, they took them into a corner just outside by the bus stop. Four police officers sort of surrounded them, really, like a little mini ring. It was, I mean, it was very, very interesting. It was very, very interesting to watch. I'd never seen a police operation. And I said to one of the women there, because she said, do you live locally? I said, yeah, I do. I said, I've never seen this done before. She said, we, we, do, we do it every so often, but you have to make sure that their friends don't phone them and they get off at St Margaret's. So they had police officers uh, stationed at St Margaret's to check them. And there's a lot of students from the college who don't swipe through because they don't have a, they don't have a valid travel card. So they try and get through quickly and they know that at a certain time the barriers are going to be open. So people just walk straight through. And there's a lot of that going on, or failing that, they've got nicked travel cards. So they, they were checking everybody. I mean, it, it, it grieves me to say that it appeared to be targeted to an ethnic minority because it's, uh, it's, it's predominantly an ethnic minority college and so a lot of people tend to sort of have cigarettes. I mean, it's, it was interesting to watch. Some of the girls were quite bolshy. You know, some of the girls are going through a little bit of attitude problem, but not half as much attitude as I saw on the Jeremy Kyle show yesterday where they had... It was a man and a woman and they came from 
London somewhere, but she was white, but she was talking like this. As if she'd... she'd and at one point, Jeremy Carl said to her, he said, you're like something off Little Britain. Yeah, but no, but yeah, but no, but... And she was exactly like that. She was pointing fingers, because that's my sister, nobody diss my sister. And I kept looking at her thinking, you're as stupid as you look. As stupid as you look. Who is this? Who is this? Okay. They have just signed up to an ASM damage agency. Okay, ASM Damage. Who is this person? Identify. They've just signed up to ASM Damage, which handles Nancy Delolio and former East 17 stars. They've also set up a show business company called Averbrook, describing themselves in registration documents as a writer, commentator, TV, radio personality. Who's that? Who's that? Nadine Dorries. She's just signed up to it. She quite clearly thinks she has no uh, no place as an MP, which, of course, 95% of her constituents think exactly the same. And secondly, she thinks she's got enough personality, I've seen no evidence of it, that she can now pitch up on television programmes as a TV and radio personality. Personality is the last thing that the poor soul has. She has no, no personality on the television. Still making good telly, I'm afraid, is Helen Flanagan which is, I don't know, it's a, there's not really a lot you can make about it. Somebody said that we seem to have gone down the route in this country of Jade Goody making thick seem interesting. Jade Goody, I suppose, originated the dumb and stupid look uh, and, and just appeared to be so thick. And we've had it seen by other people as well. I'll run through some people a little bit later on. And so you can, you can decide for yourselves whether you think these people are really as stupid or perhaps they're making it up. I don't know. I don't know whether some people just play stupid or whether some people really are stupid. Stories of the papers today about diabetes, and I only mention diabetes because I'm a diabetic, and because they say that parents don't know the signs. And the signs are, if your child has, uh, has di- diabetes or you're an adult who thinks you might have... Di- you probably haven't even thought about having diabetes. Are you getting tired? Do you get tired? You know, if, if you start feeling weary, then that's generally a good sign. But the main one is going to the toilet a lot. If you go to the toilet a lot in the course of the evening, maybe waking up three, four, five, six, seven times, that's a very good indicator that you are, that you are a diabetic. And they, they think it's a ticking time bomb. They think it's a time bomb out there of people who are, um, who are diabetic but don't know it. Or feeling that they know that they're a diabetic, but they don't want to do anything about it because they're frightened. But the, the, the complications that arise from diabetes mean that you should go to your doctor. It's a simple test. They, they, they can tell you inside, you know, less than a minute. Less than a minute. They give you a simple little blood test. They test your, your blood sugar levels. And they can tell you straight away if you're diabetic. It's as simple as that. And then they can put you on the medication, which will hopefully try and bring it down. But the big problem is that loads of kids out there, the parents have got no idea. Twilight apparently, says Joey, is vampires and werewolves competing for girls. It's the silliest rubbish ever. Oh, so that's what it is. It's vampire. Oh, you've seen one, have you? No, no. It's just... I just don't understand. So, is, is Robert Pattinson a vampire, then? Is he one of these people who... Does, do his eyes glow? Yeah, oh, it's one of these... Oh, right. Because we were looking at a clip of him in America, and there's lots of fans trying to get... Perhaps people want to believe in things like that. Perhaps, you know, perhaps people think that, that that's exactly what it is. But I don't understand those sort of films. You know, I'm happier if you get the boy and the girl, and they meet, and then they sing a song, and then they go off into the sunset, you know? I don't want anything too complicated. Sometimes. Sometimes I, I... No, I don't like horror films. I don't do horror films. I don't do sci-fi. The nearest to sci-fi I get is, uh, is Star Wars. I don't do any of these other... Oh, no, I tell you, I've got some quite good sci-fi things. Now, I like a good old-fashioned film. I'm a bit, I suppose... Nice to hear Clive Bull, wasn't it? 
Nice to hear Clive Bull. Poor old Duncan, not very well at the moment. Bit of a <coughs> chest, like the rest of us, I suppose. Without a chest, no voice. Quarter past four. This is LBC 97.3. And this morning, Nick Ferrari, what it's like to live next door to Abba Katada, and does Jordan hold the key to solving the diplomatic crisis surrounding him? The Culture Secretary will tell Nick about her plans to help women get back to work after having children, and the paper reviewer today is the deputy editor of the Sunday Express, Rachel Jane. All of that and more with Nick Ferrari after the news at seven. Uh, somebody says here, Steve, you and Dave Barry have such a bromance. Do you know, he always waves. He waves. Every time we go up there, I'll, I'll wave, he waves, Lisa Snowden waves and, like, it kisses. Bl- oh, it's, you know, it's just, you know, they're actually earning a bit more money than I am. They've actually got a bit of a, a, bit of a team thing going on there. In fact, they've got quite a, f- quite a few members of their team, because the other day... Because I always love it, because I can sit in, in our office and I can watch the people going in to the Capital Breakfast Show. I think that's quite interesting. At Cheryl Cole in the other day. Uh, more in the paper today. This is the, um, the story of why women want to look like Holly Willoughby. And to be honest with you, I, I can absolutely see that. They say she's got an enviable figure. Um, she's got a nice little personality. The only thing I don't know, the only thing, the, sorry, the only thing I don't like is that Keith Lemon programme. I really don't. I know that it's probably aimed at students. When you've had a few drinks, you're like, oh, very funny, isn't it? But I'm, I just find him naff. And I think it's, God, uh, oh dear, I just, I don't know. I just, I've watched the programme. I just think it's a bit sad on occasions. And I'm not a fan of Keith Lemon. I like Hollywood. I can't stand Fern Cotton. I really can't. I mean, I know sometimes... I mean, sometimes she takes it in good part. And then somebody wrote to me and said that the reason Holly Willoughby's on that programme is that her old man's one of the producers on it. So that's why she's on it. I think she's on too many television programmes, but, I mean, she, she's good. She's good. I like her a lot. Uh, in the paper today, Cyril Smith was lauded when he died two years ago. Uh, Nick Clegg led the tributes, and Simon Hughes said the former MP had clear, high standards and principles. And um, and now there have been comments in the paper today that he was accused of humiliating assaults on boys, and he used to spank them and that kind of. Th- I mean, it's it's it just goes on. His 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 family. He was given an MBE. He died in a nursing home. Um, he never married. He chose his mother. A cleaner as mayoress. But we've had that... Isn't it funny? Because he never married. Jimmy Savile never married. And also, he held his mother in very high esteem. He called her the Duchess, I think, or something. So perhaps it's, uh, perhaps it's a trait that runs through. Then there's a bishop who's been arrested. A retired Church of England bishop. And, um, and a former DJ from BBC Radio Norfolk. But interestingly enough, the story that emerged yesterday was of the puppeteer in America who does... Um, one of the puppets in Sesame Street. And somebody had come forward and said that he'd had uh, uh, a fling with him when he was 16. And so, consequently, this this puppeteer, who I think does Elmo, Elmo's one of the, you know, the the top characters. If you're going to have a... I think there's a very good puppet out called Tickle Me Elmo, which, when you sort of set it up, it it sort of laughs and then rolls on its back. It's really funny. It's very funny. I prefer the Tigger one, though, that bounces around. But anyway, so, given the choice, you know, you've got Tickle Me Elmo. So this, 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 this puppeteer, this, this bloke goes to the makers of Sesame Street and says, this happened when I was 16, and, uh, and so, quite rightly, they then suspend him, pending some sort of inquiry. Now the bloke's come back and said it was a consensual adult relationship. And you think to yourself, in America, that, that puppeteer, whose name has now been besmirched by this, by this piece of trash now should take him to court and sue him. It's defamation of character. He's basically made an untrue statement. 
he's made an untrue statement. And so, you know, it's, and he said, oh, no, I, I admit now that it was... It's like the, the bloke who was talking about Lord McAlpine. He was on the television. Again, yes, he's beginning to like the television cameras, I think, a little bit too much as far as I'm concerned. I quite understand if he was abused, that he's, he's got a, a right to say something. But he now says, oh, I'd like to meet Lord McAlpine and apologise. And I'm thinking, I think you quite like this media circus, don't you? I think you're quite liking it. I, you know, I don't think we should go down that route. You made a big mistake. You've, 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 you've paid for it. And, um, and the rest, as I say, will be played out within the papers. It's Holly Willoughby's boobs, incidentally. They are the envy of women everywhere. And there's, uh, there's quite a lot of them. She has the sort of boobs that most women would love. Well, you just have to make the most of it, don't you? Whatever you've got. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, other men look at me with envy in their eyes, thinking, I wish I had a body like Steve Allen's. Well, you know, just, you, you could, if you work at it, if you eat, you know, loads of food every day and chips and sausages in batter and stuff, you could have a figure like this. It's not difficult to achieve, believe you me. I've worked at it over a few years and I'm now, I think I'm now at my peak. I think I'm now at that stage in my life where I'm quite happy. All right, so we all go to bed crying because we think, I wish I could wake up thin. My friend Michael, the hairdresser, I mean, is, is getting, he, he laughingly tells people he plays tennis. Whereas, in fact, I mean, I think, when I say he plays tennis, what he's got, he's got one of those balls on a piece of elastic and he hits it round a post and he thinks that's tennis. It's like swing ball. And, da, 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 da. and he's putting on all this weight and he says, <laughs> we always have the joke about his weight because he's carrying a little bit more than I am. He's probably up at this time of the morning because he does, doesn't go to bed till, till quite late. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, Nigel and Ealing says, nice to hear the two old pros together again, you and Clive Bull. Do you know, I was thinking, actually, of when Clive used to do Jellybone in the morning, LBC's... Because uh, when I first joined LBC... I might as well tell you this now. You, you probably know it anyway, because you've probably heard us talk about it on loads of occasions. When I first joined, LB, LBC had a, a training scheme... And the training scheme was that you did two years working on the news information department, which was setting up the guests for the programme, and then you did phone-hopping with Brian Hayes, and that's what Clive Bull was doing. He was doing the phones for Brian Hayes, so he answered the phones in the morning. But there was a set way of doing it. Brian Hayes' programme, like many programmes in the early days, had a, had a book. And if you joined the programme, they gave you the book. And you had to learn your role. You were part of the team. It was the wheel. It was that, all that kind of stuff. And so what you had to do in the morning, it was quite specifically laid out. Before the programme started, we had two studios. You flip-flopped. So you could be in this studio with the breakfast programme and then the next studio would be getting ready for the Brian Hayes programme and they would have the news and then it would flip over to the next studio. So you as the phone-op, would, would have to go into the studio, which was off-air. You'd have to make sure it was all tidy, the bins were emptied, there was a fresh water jug put out with cups for the guests. In front of each guest, there was a pad of paper, an LBC pen, a badge and a photograph signed by Brian Hayes. That you had to have. That was part of the training. At, uh, at, 10 at 11 o'clock, I think Brian started at 10, at 11 o'clock, Brian would go out to the toilet... Every morning at the same time, he would walk past the coffee machine, he would push the button for coffee, and then would carry on walking. You would fill the cup up with coffee, pour the milk in, and then Brian would finish in the loo, come back down, walk past the coffee machine, pick up the coffee and go into the studio. And it was, it was set out in tablets of stone. You would also, as the phone-op, have to collect the guests, bring them down to the studio, make sure they had tea and coffee, and then see them off the premises at the very end into the taxi. And that was how it worked. And that's what Clive did. He was doing that. Then we had a, a Saturday morning programme, and he did that. Therese Birch did it for a, a while uh, with Jeremy Beadle. 
God, we had so many people on, and uh, Clive was doing that. And then he took... I can't remember when it, exactly when it was, but he must have been doing the Nightline programme when I was doing Overnights. That's, that's, I think, how it worked. Because we used to do a book review. We did a, a book review, and all I remember is we did one which involved, I think, reviewing King Solomon's Mines. <laughs> and we laughed all the way through it. That's all I can remember. We laughed all the way through it. So uh, the old man's still doing it. I think he's a lot older than I am. I think he's a lot older. I think he, he must be almost twice my age now, I should imagine. But, uh, but looks well on it. So I was quite surprised when I heard it when I turned on the radio this morning. I thought, sounds like Clive Bull. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it was Clive Bull. So what we'll do, we'll look through the, uh, the papers today. We'll come up with, with why we think there is the dumbing down of celebrities uh, and why it's only oh, somebody who's left the only way is Essex, which is good. And Eric Clapton has made some more money. This time he has sold one of his watches. This is... Uh, uh, a Patek Philippe watch. There was only two made. Now, I don't know anything about watches. I always, I mean, I just, I wear a box standard 800 pound watch and it's just quite normal. <laughs> I went, went out a short while ago. Somebody said, I tell you, he's really interested in watches. Nick Ferrar is interested in watches. First time we started, he said, let's have a look at that watch. That's quite nice, isn't it? Because he, ha- he has certain watches. I mean, to me, it just tells the time. I put it on my wrist. Have you noticed sometimes your wrists get bigger and sometimes it pings open because mine's on a little. It's not one of these elasticated things. It's a little... It clicks in. And sometimes it doesn't. If I move my hand in a certain way, it just pings open, which... So I've stopped using my hand in that certain way. But anyway, this, this Patek Philippe watch is, uh, has just been sold. 87, 1987. Two made. It was a star attraction at Christie's in Geneva. And there were ten people bidding from across the globe. And it went for £2 million. Two million pounds for a watch makes those Rolex oysters seem a bit cheap and naff, doesn't it? Two. I mean, you couldn't wear it. Where could you wear it? Two point. I mean, there was a 1952 platinum watch, which was also by Patek Philippe, fetched two point five million. Two. It was brought via a phone bid bidder from uh, from an Asian bidder. I mean, how lovely! But it was only a short while ago. Eric Clapton sold a picture that he had, and I can't. Remember, it went for something like twenty six million. It was something quite phenomenal, quite phenomenal. So he's obviously got a lot. What he's going to do, I think he's putting the money into his uh, crossroads centre for drug and alcohol rehabilitation in Antigua. Unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. Two mi- 21 million pounds. What was that a picture of? Was that, does it say what it was? Looks like a, me- is it a Picasso? No, it's not a Picasso. It's what? Oh, Abrisk build. Oh, well. Went for a lot of money. Whatever it was, people obviously got far more money than cents nowadays. I've always wanted to do that. If I'd won the lottery last night, 133 million, I would love to invite people round from here. There's a couple of people who would probably love to see my, my place. And I'd, and I'd have all these pictures, like, you know, a Canaletto, a Matisse, a, a Van Gogh, anything like that. And then they'd say to me, very nice copies. i go, they're not copies. They're real. They're real. Now, that, that would be good. That would be very good. I'd love to have that. I would, I'd never wear, though, a £2 million watch on my wrist. I'd, I'd be so frightened that somebody would see it and sort of grab me and then chop my wrist off to get the watch. For two, but where could you use it, a £2 million watch? Hardly wander around the streets with it, can you? Uh, 84850, uk. More from the, uh, the papers coming up in a minute. Also, the £5 million a year smirk. That's what you'll pay to keep an eye on, uh, on Abu Ghattarda. Looking a bit gay, I thought, in the picture yesterday, but that's just my opinion. And uh, and also, on the front of the mirror, Freddie Starr. 
He now says, my life is ruined. I'm now not allowed to be alone with my own kids in my own house. And the sickest mum in Britain. And for some reason, probably for her son's sake, we have to protect her anonymity. As she was so sick, it beggars belief. It's LBC 97.3, Steve Allen's early breakfast. Time now, 4.30. LBC 97.3, London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, 27 minutes to five. Morning to all the people sitting in Leicester Square. Hope it doesn't rain for you. In fact, actually, I, I, better, I better check, just in case. Just in case it might rain. To, oh, they've got umbrellas. Oh, we, oh, it's bad news for you, I'm afraid. Misty start, light rain possible, becoming quite bright. You know, it was very bright yesterday when I left here. I was really quite surprised. I actually left here almost in brilliant sunshine. I was very, very surprised, because normally I sort of go home and it's a bit dark and overcast, a little bit satanic. A little bit cooler than yesterday. Currently it's ten. It'll climb to eleven. You've got some light rain. Then tonight, clear spells at first. Misty night. I don't mind it being misty in London. Eight degrees. Tomorrow, dull and grey throughout the day. Miss possible, persisting in some places. Light rain, ten degrees centigrade. So there's your uh, forecast. But, I mean, you get wet, you get wet. Worth it to see Robert Pattinson, I should imagine. You sit there going, Robert Pattinson, Robert Pattinson. He could walk in there now and I wouldn't know who he was. If somebody said this is Robert Pattinson, then you could understand it. But, I'd, you know, apart from that, if I passed him in the street, I wouldn't have the faintest idea. I, r- I really wouldn't know. Owen says, I wish I had your boobs, Steve. There's one thing I don't have is man boobs. I do know people who have them. In, in our only way is Essex, Arge, the particularly stupid one, who went out with Lydia Dim, and then she's going out with Tom Kilby, I think. But he's leaving the series. He's announced that he's leaving. Perhaps he's been pushed out because he's so boring. I've never seen anybody so dull in the programme. He's he has, a, he has a very odd sister called Cara Kilby. I mean, they're all a bit dim in the programme. Mind you, not half as dim as Joey Essex and his sister. God, she's unattractive. I mean, I'm not one to sort of start pointing sticks and calling people names, as you all well know, but... God, she's unattractive. I mean, even when she's all been made up, it's unattractive. You know, normally people put makeup on, they go, oh, wow, does that really enhance you? No, not in her case. And then out the other night on the town, launching her autobiography, read by the people who shop in Poundland, I should imagine, Chloe Sims. My story. Chloe, I mean, who who would buy it? We had this discussion upstairs on who would actually, and I said nobody. Mm -hmm. Nobody would actually buy it at all. And uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's. It's just one of those things that somebody writes a book and they think that we're interested. Nanny Pat wrote one. Who gives a stuff about Nanny Pat? I couldn't care less. Everybody's got a story, every single one of you. Well, not every single one of you lot, because you probably haven't. But you've got to have lived to have had a story. I mean, if I wrote a book about LBC, oh, my God, it would be explosive. It would be explosive. A hotbed of political intrigue, sexual trysts, and all sorts of alcoholism. Oh, dear me, producers dropping dead. Oh, dear. And and, And that's just this year. That's just this year. Imagine if we went back to the beginning of LBC. I mean, because I've been here the longest, I know everything. I know everything that went on. I could tell you who was having the flings, who wasn't. I wasn't having the flings. I'm one of those ones who was left out in the cold. But I didn't care. I was observing. I was making mental notes. So at the Christmas party, when people disappeared off upstairs to have a go on the photocopier, get my drift. You know, I knew what was going on. I knew what was going on. If those walls could have talked in Gough Square, God. Blimey, we've had a, a political bestseller. So when you get somebody like Chloe Sims, 
who's got a story, and it involves a bullying. I mean, how d- everybody was bullied. Every single person was bullied at school. You're either bullied at school, at work, or on the bus. It doesn't matter where it is. Everybody's been bullied at some point in their life. You know, even the almighty was bullied. So, when it comes to poor old Chloe Sims, so she turns up to the launch of her dreary autobiography, as I say, read by nobody, and, uh, and who, is her, who is her star guest? Her star guest. Full of celebrities they go. Imogen Thomas. That was it. That's the best that they could drag up from the gutter. Imogen Thomas. Poor old Chris, my, my friend, is supposed to be going to Spain today. Big, big aeroplane up in sky. And um, it looks like everything's cancelled because of the, the strike over in Spain. And Rupert, because I said to Rupert, I said he's, he's quite worried because he's got a nice 10-day holiday coming up. And if he can't get away... Um, then it, it doesn't look particularly good, does it? Because you don't want to sit at home when you want to be on holiday, sitting on a beach with a with a, um, a glass of sangria, or whatever you whatever you have. One of my other friends, Lou, she's on holiday at the moment. She sent me a thing from Tenerife yesterday saying she's sitting by the pool with a large vodka. Sounds quite nice, doesn't it? Really, I could do with sitting by. I'm not really a sitting by a pool sort of person. But uh, I'm all sort of covering up full burka and everything else inside because I don't do heat and probably the nice cup of tea. There's no point in drink- I don't drink alcohol on holiday. I'm not very good at drinking alcohol on holiday. Although I did in Vegas. That's funny. First time ever I've drunk. I don't drink Christmas. God, I'm boring. Uh, I just don't drink uh, because I'm too worried. That if I drink, I might have to drive at some point. And if you if you have to drive, there's a very good chance the police are going to be out there. And uh, having seen, oh, J.K. has just sent me one. Oh, wonderful. Oh, I, I wasn't. Uh, I got a bit worried the other day because he hadn't written to me, and he's um, he's uh, he's in Barbados at the moment. Everybody's everybody's like, aren't the only one who's not on holiday here? And he sent sent me a picture of uh, <laughs> he sent me a picture of a guy in Barbados in the port reading Nanny Pat's autobiography. Oh no, it's ruined it completely. Ruined. I bet you've got all that. The only way is Essex people. I bet you have. I bet you have. Oh, you know they're going to bring back Dad's Army, but they're going to change Captain Mannering and give the part to a woman. I mean, how can you all of a sudden turn an iconic... I wish they wouldn't remake things. It does drive me mad. The creator Jimmy Perry has revealed a studio is planning a remake and considering a female lead to star as the pompous bank manager made famous by Arthur Lowe. I love the Dad's Army stuff. Uh, the abuse scandal rumbles on Freddie's anguish, Freddie Starr. He said, if Sophie goes out, this is his fiance. I'm not even allowed to be alone with the kids. I feel like ending it all, my life is ruined. <sighs> I don't really know what I can say to that, actually. It's in all the papers today. He's admitted he's hit rock bottom. And uh, he says he's, uh, he's felt suicidal. He puffs away on his cigarettes. He's overweight. He's got all the... He's got all the um, all the traits, you know, of somebody who's on a, on a downward spiral here. Fourteen more women have alleged they were victims of Jimmy Savile's ex-driver. I mean, this is obviously, it's even bigger than, than I thought it was in the first place. I mean, I don't... You know, I mean, bearing in mind, these are indecent assaults. This is something happening against somebody's will. Somebody has taken advantage of somebody because they were younger. And it's been done against their will. Because, you know, if, if you're forcibly doing something, that's then an assault. If somebody keeps going back then you're hard-pressed to find out whether or not it was an assault or whether it was consensual sex. Uh, The brother of Sir Cyril Smith has attacked an MP for calling for a new inquiry into claims that the Liberal sexually abused young boys. He said that he he was spanking them. I have to be honest, I mean, looking at the size of Cyril Smith, there can't really have been very much going on at all there. He was, he was 29 stone at one point. 
And then there is the sickest mum in Britain. It's such a shame we can't identify her. The reason we cannot identify her is to protect her son. And uh, what this, this woman did was that she told her son he had cancer. OK, she told him from an early age that he had cancer. And um, so she, uh, she shaved his head... She, uh, she put him in a wheelchair. At home, he refused to stay in the wheelchair and played on the trampoline. His mum then took a razor to his eyebrows and, um... Oh, actually, we have a name for her. I didn't think we had... We couldn't identify her, but strangely, because they've pixelated her face, and I thought we were saving... Sa- anyway, whatever it was, she, she cleared them out of about £85,000 in fake benefits. Uh, she funded a holiday to, uh, to Disney World, and uh, she kept him in the wheelchair... Telling him he had cancer so they could queue jump. And, of course, at Disney World, as usual, they bend over backwards for these things. Uh, her husband was also duped into believing their son was suffering from cancer. At one point, the son believed he was suffering from cancer. He didn't know that it was all just a ruse. She made him wear a, a bandana. She got a motability car. She got all the benefits. And it was, it, she was just a thief. Now, frankly, I'd like to see a picture of her. I want to see what this scheming old bag looks like. I want to take her out and, and, and just, you know, it's just, it is the sickest thing that you could ever think of. And she is the sickest woman here. She's not, she's not mentally ill. They've already said she's not mentally, because some people play the mentally ill card, but they say she has a personality disorder. How that would mean that you have to sort of invent some illness. But we've had it before, haven't we? I've heard of people before who've been around and collected for their, for, for a sort of, for a sick child, and then they thieve the money for themselves. They go around pubs, we're actually collecting for this person, that person. I hate Rugby Day in Twickenham. There's so many fake collectors who go around, because rugby fans are quite generous, and mainly drunks, and, uh, there's money in the box. So people just wander around, and there's lots of fake collectors. You have to be very, very careful. If you're going to any place where there are crowds, there's going to be people who are going to try and rob you. And they stand there. I noticed I was coming through um, Piccadilly Circus earlier on. They had the women standing out there selling roses. Who in their right mind is at Piccadilly Circus at three o'clock in the morning and wants to buy a rose from somebody you've just picked up? It's not romantic. You've just picked up somebody in a, in a cheap bar. You're now standing there because you haven't got a car to get home. So you have to go home on the night bus. That's always an indication of whether you've pulled well. You know, if they go, OK, so uh, I'm just round here. You, you go round there and you join a queue for the bus. You know, you know that you've picked the wrong person. You know, you only go home with somebody if you've seen, A, the colour of, their, uh, of their, their credit cards, and B, you've seen a bank statement. Get them to go to the, the diddly-dip machine and print out a bank. How much you got? How much you got? How much? £33? I don't think so, pal. I'm going home by myself. You've always got to check these things. And don't go home with people. They spin your lines. Oh, people tell the most dreadful fibs, don't they? Hello. You're the best-looking thing I've seen. Tonight. You know, that kind of thing. I just want to be your friend, really. Honestly, I do. Do you want to come home for a cup of coffee? I'm sorry, do you mean sex? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you mention coffee for? Are you going to cook? No, not really, no. OK, well, I'm not going home with you. It's as simple as that. You know, just... just People tell lies, don't they? People say anything. Oh, I really love you. People whisper sweet nothing. I mean, I, sometimes I'd just be standing at the bar and people would be whispering sweet nothings in my ear. I'd be going, listen, I'm just collecting glasses, all right? I'm not going home with anybody at all. Uh, more on, um, who's this? Who is this here? This is uh, bad boy football. This is Mario Balotelli. Do you remember my, my claim to fame? I was going out on a Sunday, going to pick up a friend of mine who was going to walk the dog, and as we go down the Euston Road, there's all these footballers walking towards us on the left-hand side because they're staying at the landmark 
which is big hotel at the at the top, just off the flyover. And I knew it was Mario Balotelli because at the time he had his hair dyed blonde with that sort of familiar thing down the middle. I went, oh, that's Mario, and then he crashed the car. That's Mario Balotelli because you don't often see footballers walking out, and he did he did stand out. But apparently, his uh, pregnant on-off girlfriend has claimed he doesn't want to be a father. He doesn't want to be anything, does he, really? I don't, I don't think... I mean, he's just a bit of an idiot, unfortunately. Underwear model, Raffaella Fayon. They're always something, aren't they? They're the glamour models, underwear models, or something like that. You don't ever want to go out with a model. You know, it's great if you live in a house with three other people. It's like a bit of a trophy. Look, look, I've managed to pull this, this blonde underwear model, OK? And she's going to model for us all. But, if, but you're not going to get married to something like that. You're not going to take that home to your parents and go, look, here she is, she's a glamour girl. And your parents are going to go, I don't think so. You'll not be walking down the aisle with that one, thank you very much. It's like taking Jordan home and, you're, and, and then trying to revive your mother with smelling salts as you've walked Jordan through the door and your mother's collapsed, I'm afraid. Superman, Batman and Spider-Man are all being played by Brits, apparently. The Americans are apparently upset, says John. But as Stephen Fry said, we do, <coughs> excuse me, we do produce the greatest actors in the world. You see, I, I, are you sure Batman, was that played by, is that Christian Bale? He's not British, is he? Is, is he Welsh? Good Lord. And Spider-Man, who's, who played Spider-Man? Andrew Garfield, is he British? Oh, right. And Superman, that was Christopher Reeve, wasn't it? He wasn't British. Superman, dun dun dun, dun 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 I thought he was American. I could be wrong, I could be wrong. I'm, I'm prepared to, um... Uh, Prepare to stand alone on that one. 84850, uk. Mark the bailiffs up. Merry Christmas, he says. You're not collecting cards at this time of the morning, are you? <sighs> Dear. I've got to empty my car today. Because I've got to take it in for a service. I thought, I thought we'd have another session of emptying the boot. Just to make life a little bit more interesting for me. So we empty the boot. This thing weighs more every time. I discovered, what did I, discover in the other? I discovered three bottles of vodka in there the other day. <laughs> How lucky was I? How lucky was that? I don't remember buying them. And uh, Fiona Phillips is talking dementia with, uh, with Sir Terry Pratchett, who says, the best thing I've ever done in my life is stand up and say, I've got Alzheimer's. I think people should talk about their illnesses. I really do. I, I, I was horrified the other day. A friend of mine, uh, Tommy, his, his wife died the other day. She was uh, a bit older. I don't know anything about her, really. I just know that, that she died. And, uh, and he said she, di- she died of cancer. And I said, oh, I said, how was that? He said, well, he said, we were putting some hanging baskets up a few, few months ago, he said, and it was a little bit higher, and she tripped and fell over, and she bruised herself. She was, she's, let's say she was over 70, OK? And so she goes to hospital, so they do an X-ray, and they discover a cancerous growth while they're doing the X-ray. Bearing in mind, she had no idea at all, and four months later, dead. As simple as that. And all because she went to hospital. So, in other words, if she hadn't been to hospital to have the x-ray because she fell over and they thought she'd broken a bone, they wouldn't have seen the growth in her stomach, which turned out to be cancerous and was spreading so fast. And, you know, three to four months is about average nowadays. That's how it it happens. And uh, he'd just come into Twickenham to try and arrange for the funeral director to go and uh, collect her and look after her for a little bit. And uh, and you think to yourself, it's it's quite something, isn't it, when you've got to go through that. I know many of you listening have probably been through it before. But it's it's a very difficult thing. But had she not fallen down... They never would have known that she had this, this cancerous growth inside her. Noreen says, near the end of yesterday's show, you spoke of Timothy and Sam West. Some years ago, Brian and I were at a funeral, LBC-related. We were talking to a man at the wake, and somebody asked him how Tim was. And somebody asked how Prue was. So I put two and two together, 
and asked the question, are you talking about Timothy West and Prunella Scales? It was their son, Sam. Yes, I, I sent Sam a book years ago. He was a big fan of Doctor Who and of William Hartnell. And I said, I've got his autobiography. I'll send it to you. So I did. And then I saw, then, of course, I worked with Prunella Scales uh, on the Royal Wedding. Bit of a disaster. The Royal Wedding, not working with Prunella Scales. And uh, Timothy West, I went to see them both because when we were, I was doing the commentary for the whole of the independent radio network outside... Uh, Westminster Abbey and I each one of us had a celebrity and I got Prunella Scales so we were doing the commentary and even though I say it myself it was pretty good we were pretty good but we had to go and meet our respective celebrity partners so I go to the Whitehall Theatre where Timothy West and Prunella Scales were appearing just to sort of say this is me and uh, looking forward to working with it who is that bloke at the thing I don't know there he was actually that's the other Twilight person much better looking than Robert Pattinson isn't he much better looking looks like one of those Hollister models Whatever they are. Anyway, uh, off to a surprise lunch today for my uncle in Hemel Hempstead, a 90th. The roads are gridlocked here due to a fire still spewing smoke out since Saturday. It's affecting all the traffic around St Albans, says Noreen. Well, have a, have a nice lunch. Some bloke died the other day. Why did I keep it? I, I saved it because um, he, he should have died years ago. They thought he was dead at 67. Or 97. But anyway, it turns out he wasn't. He's just reached 100 and something. And he died. But as, as he said before, he said, I should have been dead years and years ago. Such is life, ladies and gentlemen. Ten to five. Alison Phillips, writing in the Mirror today, says, as much as I loved Jade Goody... I couldn't bear her. I couldn't stand her, honestly. I thought she sort of... She defined stupidity. But she was the TV pioneer, says Alison, the leader of the pack, the woman who made it OK for girls to be stupid. And not just OK either. She led the path to the dismal land we now find ourselves in, where it appears positively desirable for young women on television to be moronic. Asking if East Anglia was a foreign country and believing Cambridge to be in London became television gold and a passport for Jade from a miserable childhood in Bermondsey to the footballers' wives world of Essex before her tragic death. And so Jade opened the floodgates to female idiocy being an escalator to fame. We've had Amy Childs asking, where's North London? Uh, Jessica Wright sending, um, sending a rest in peace tweet after the death of the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-il. I mean, how thick do you have to be? I mean, that was dumb, wasn't it? I mean, that was... Sorry? Really? Oh, are we... Oh, blimey. Did I, have I missed a break? I can't believe it. Honestly, I'm chatting away. I'll come back to this, because we've got a great one from, from Jessica Simpson in a moment. This is LBC 97.3. The bloke from the Twilight thing is this guy called Taylor Lautner. Presumably he'll be pitching up in Leicester Square this evening and the girls will be going, yeah, probably find they're all there for him. He's much better looking than Robert Pattinson. But then he, uh, you know, very... Actually, he's almost a body double for me. It's unbelievable, really. I'm looking at the pictures of him on the uh, on, on Google. And he is... He's OK, look, if you like that kind of thing, you know. He just looks like a typical American boy, doesn't he, really? And quite clear. I suppose if you have got a good body, you don't mind taking a shirt. See, it's me. It's me straight away. It's that's my body there. I'm looking. It could be they've superimposed somebody else's head on him. <laughs> anyway, going back to Alison Phillips, as we were. So she was talking here about Jessica Wright sending a rest in peace tweet after the death of Korean leader Kim Jong Il. I mean, she is so dumb. And Jessica Simpson declaring she didn't eat buffalo when offered buffalo wings. And then this week, ready to out-dumb all those who came before, Helen Flanagan flounced into the jungle in I'm a Celebrity with a witty anecdote such as how she once feared an intruder in her hotel room only to discover it was her own reflection. I mean, that's how thick she is and how she believed that you had to pay £100 just to borrow a hotel dressing gown. 
I mean, it's, it's almost an embarrassment to women everywhere who've had an education when we put these thick people up on the television and people go, oh, isn't she a role model? She's a role model for the terminally stupid, I'm afraid. It is... Abs- I mean, the trouble is, nobody's laughing with Helen. They're laughing at her. They're laughing at her dim boyfriend who seriously believes that going out with her, she's, she's a bit of a trophy. She's not. She's nothing at all. She is so stupid. It's... I mean... Well, I don't think she's playing up. I think she is like this. That's the, that's the trouble. It's only when you see a programme. Because when you see them on the television to start with, they've learnt some lines. In her case, she wasn't much cop at doing that either. That's why they decided to out her from the programme. And she sat there in the political wilderness, twiddling her thumbs, and then going out to a few nightclubs with her boyfriend. And she's just moved in with him. And she said, I don't know how I'm going to cope in the jungle. Quite clearly, I mean, she's too stupid for her own shadow. Quite literally. Because she doesn't know how to cope. Whereas, you know, if, I should imagine turning on the washing machine will be a bit of an, ex, an exposition for her. Uh, sorry, an expedition, just trekking into the kitchen and go, oh, look, washing machine. Oh, nice. And not knowing really what it is. I mean, and that's why it's embarrassing. We shouldn't really put these people up on the television for us to laugh at them. It's, it's ritual humiliation. It's a bit like watching The X Factor and watching some of the contestants on there. There was one little boy today. He was in... He might have been in one of the... I don't know. We, we mentioned him yesterday on the free podcast. I cannot remember his name. I just remember he was doing a boxing match with one of the other girls on there. And he's in one of these little boy bands. But, he, I mean, I did ask the question yesterday. I did say, is he gay? Because he just looked gay. And it's my new expression for everybody. Apparently, it's, it's, it's quite street talk that. Now, you say somebody's gay. It doesn't mean gay, gay. It just means gay. In a different sense. Try and fathom that one out. And anyway, so what, what they were doing, they had him there, and then they said, how many partners have you had? And he said, loads. And she went, he's never had a girlfriend. And I thought, well, that looks feasible to me. Because it seems that everybody nowadays wants to be in a boy band, don't they? They all want to be in a, you know, if you're a boy. Not much use if you're a girl. You know, it, it's, and I used to sort of watch them. And I've seen, over the years, so many who come in... They have a few hit singles and then they disappear and they do nothing. Their career is finished because they don't write anything, so they don't make any money. They are manipulated by the record companies because they're fodder. They're fodder. I mean, East 17, the only person who made any money out of East 17 was Tony Mortimer. Tony Mortimer must have made the best and was very clever with it. One of the other ones was working as a roofer. And, and, and you just think to yourself, nobody prepares them for it. What they do is, we've seen it in Leicester Square. I've seen loads and loads of people in Leicester Square pitching up and they do the waving. And you'll probably find at this film premiere tonight for the Twilight thing with Robert Pattinson and Taylor Lautner, you will probably find there'll be some boy bands pitching up, a few people from The X Factor. You'll probably have to suffer with Jedward again, I should imagine. Let's hope they're not in the country. And, um... And, and they'll all do their waving and have pictures taken with the crowd. They'll all be wearing identical suits, you know. If One Direction in town, because this is a big thing, they'll want to be seen there. So they come in, have their pictures taken with the fans and all. And you think to yourself, it's great now, isn't it? But in about a year's time, nothing. And what do you do when you're 22, 23, and you've got no career? There is no career. There was no career for any of the Spice Girls, really, after the Spice Girls finished. A couple of them made a half-hearted attempt at doing an album, which weren't bad, but that's it. They finished now. They don't effectively need to work. They all made, because they very cleverly managed to get this uh, thing where they were all put on the writing list. So if you look on every Spice Girls record, they're all credited with writing the songs. And yet, strangely, the moment they leave the Spice Girls, they can't write diddly squat. So you're going to get all these people. They will pitch up tonight. You'll have Rylan who'll pitch up at this kind of thing. And if I was was the the maker of the film, I'd be going, listen, we don't want anybody from the X Factor. Luckily, there's one or two London clubs, some quite smart London clubs. They won't allow anybody in from a reality show. 
Because you don't want stupid people like that in there, do you? You don't want anybody in who's been in a reality show who has no talent whatsoever. I wouldn't want the Kardashians in, in a club. If I had a club like Mahiki, I wouldn't want the Kardashians in there. You just want people who are well-heeled, who are going to go there week in, week out, not people who are just going for a photo opportunity. So, uh, poor old Helen Flanagan, in the jungle, a child star, didn't quite make it to adulthood. But then, so few of them do, I'm afraid. Uh, I went out with a, a model, says Rob, a uh, hand model. Quite good money in that, doing watches and stuff. Yes, I knew a hand model. In fact, I think that's what um, Jules Oliver was. When they said she was a model, she certainly wasn't a model. I think she was a hand model. I think she'd done that hand modelling. And these people have to look after their hands, and they just use them in all the shots. It's like you get different voiceover artists, and people see uh, adverts in the paper saying, would you like to be in voiceovers? They'll never take you in a million years. They, they really won't, actually, I'm afraid. So uh, I like the idea that... Uh, hand models and you get feet models you get people who've got good feet people who are body doubles for for people you get a lot of that kind of thing somebody who would just be a, a model for a stump if they're looking for something they're looking for perfection aren't they somebody says londoners spend an average of 77 minutes a day getting to work how far are you prepared to travel for a job 77 minutes there was somebody the other day it was on one of these um changing your house programs and he traveled three hours every day an hour and a half to work and an hour and a half back so so he was getting home at night at i think eight thirty to 9 and then expecting to have something to eat climate to bed and then the next morning do it all over again <sighs> pete in broccoli says are you sure you don't drink because of all the secrets you know and you might have a loose tongue oh no i do drink don't don't get me wrong i i i do drink and i but I'm terrible at keeping secrets. I'm just... I'm useless. If somebody says to me, I'm going to tell you something, but you mustn't tell anybody, I, I say to... Listen, don't don't tell me. But then my curiosity gets the better. <laughs> my curiosity... And I say, all right, tell me what it is. And people do do tell me. People people like telling me things. <laughs> I wish they didn't. I wish they didn't, because it's. I've got so many secrets that I can't tell various... I have to remember if I'm in the wrong company that I can't tell this particular person something which I know about them because somebody else has told me. So, consequently, I say nothing around this building. So much safer. Coming up to the news at five o'clock this Tuesday morning... Wednesday morning. Good love, lost a day somewhere. Wednesday morning in London town. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. You're very welcome. 84850. Steve at lbc.co.uk. Jackie in Hamill Hempstead says today is World Diabetes Day. And we'll come round to that after the news, plus more of your celebrity gossip. But it's your, your texts and emails I look forward to receiving. But the news with Holly is next. On FM, online and digital radio, London's biggest conversation. This is LBC 97.3. LBC 97.3. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. <sighs> sigh of relief. Big sigh of relief. Big sigh that I'm not a fan of Twilight or Robert Pattinson and I haven't had to sit in Leicester Square for three days because they're... <coughs> excuse me, they're out there. Bless their hearts. And uh, they're very loyal. I mean, where would these people be without their fans? Very good indeed. Very, very good. I mean, it's, they've sat there. They're very good because they've caged them in. They're sitting behind these six-foot-tall railings. And as I say, if, if you're very good, you can actually go and buy some old food from somebody and just feed them. And just keep them because, I mean, I don't know, they go to the toilet or anything. And then presumably this evening, there'll be another load of people standing who haven't had to sit there for three days. And they'll probably get a, equally as good a position. Because, I mean, nothing... I can't think of anybody that I would ever sit on a pavement for three days to see. Well, JK, maybe. 
you know, maybe JK, I don't know, actually. I sent him a thing, because uh, he, he was in Barbados. He just sent me a thing saying, Are you, he's, he's on his way to work in Hampshire. They did a programme on Hampshire the other day saying it's very desirable to live because you've got the new forest, and the new forest is absolutely lovely. And places like Lyndhurst, and there's another place, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's very old-fashioned, and it's, I think all the smugglers used to go in there. I don't know why I'm talking like that. It's not that they don't talk like that at all, do they? Sorry about that. But, uh, no, I'm glad you're well. He's tired, but he's well. I don't know. Shouldn't be tired at your age. Shouldn't be tired. Today is World Diabetes Day. If you are tired, it could be diabetes. Many famous landmarks will be turned blue to market. And uh, one here uh, for type 1 diabetes, weight loss, excessive thirst, frequent going to the toilet, tiredness, blurred vision. More common in children than meningitis. Most parents don't know the symptoms, so children are critically ill. Uh, this is from, uh, from, from Jackie. When finally admitted to hospital, make clear the difference between type 1 and type 2. Type 1 is uh, an autoimmune disease, most commonly diagnosed in childhood, controlled by regular blood tests and insulin injections or insulin bump. And um, type 2, most commonly diagnosed in those over 40, diet and lifestyle related, controlled by adjustments to diet and lifestyle tablets, and in some cases, insulin. Yes, I'm insulin and tablet. And everything else that goes along with it. And I get the blurred vision. And I get the tiredness. And I get the frequent going to the toilet. Although, strangely enough, not on this programme, is that odd? Only because I'm not drinking a huge amount. I might, I might go another cup of coffee in about half an hour's time, I think. I might sort of... Uh, might, uh, might push for a little cup of coffee. And, um, but that's what you have to, have to be aware of. You have to be aware of, uh, of all of these things so that, you know, you're sure that your kids are not diabetic. You're sure that you're not diabetic as well. Ian says, re-travelling to and from work, 10 minutes at 3.30 in the morning, anything up to 50 minutes for four miles at 4pm on the way home. Doesn't it take for ages? Does it not take for ages? Uh, one of your favourite people, Anne Reid, is in a six-part drama, Last Tango in Halifax, next Tuesday, 9pm, 1, BBC One. I'm surprised she's 77. I heard your interview with her recently. She was lovely. I'd so wanted to meet her. I'd so wanted to meet her for ages. You know, when you meet somebody and you're a fan, and I, I just have to say to her, I have to be honest with them and sort of say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a f- fan of yours, so you have to excuse me if I sort of go a little bit over the top, sometimes a little bit over the top. Uh, John says, this month I'm having to get up at 4.30am for an early start at work. My body clock is all over the place. Do you awake early on Saturday and Sunday when you're not working at LBC? Um, yes. Yes, Saturday morning. I'll tell you for why I do... And, and it's it's probably because I've geared my lifestyle to to getting up early in the morning. I don't like to waste the day. So on Saturday, I like to make sure that I'm awake. I'm generally awake by... I think I wake up at about 2 o'clock in the morning, which is my normal time. And then I go back to sleep for a couple of hours. Uh, or I go in front of the computer um, and faff around on that for an hour. And then I fall asleep in front of the television. And then I get up. I like to be out by about 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. You know, take my stuff over to the dry cleaner. Anything that needs washing and ironing, I give to Thomas. He sorts all that out for me. And then I'll go and get the car washed and then uh, and then go and do a little bit of shopping and then come back. So, I, I mean, Saturday night, I go to bed quite early. It's very rare that I've made it to 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. I've tried, I've tried, but I'm rubbish. I'm rubbish at doing it. And Sunday, I like to get up early, get out, get some air, because I do go to bed early Sunday night. Now, next, this this coming Sunday, of course, is going to be a bit more difficult, because I've got the Royal Variety Performance to go to at the Royal Albert Hall. So I'm not going to get back home till quite late, because the security in and out will be very, very difficult. And uh, and I suppose, um, you know, it's, 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 it's just one of those things. So Monday morning, I'm going to be quite tired, 
but I, I will struggle through. I will struggle through. Steve, this'll make you laugh. An ex-actor from Hollyoaks now works on a burger bar in Borough Market. Well, I bet he's making more money than he did on Hollyoaks. Because I've seen a Hollyoaks actor, and the Hollyoaks actor is, um, he's doing one of these shopping channels. I can't remember his name. I, I, he pitched up the other day, and then I think he's pitched up on something on the television. So he's obviously alternating. that you've got to do something. And here's Claudia in a car from Hernhill to Vauxhall. In fact, she spends all her time in a car. Says, may I ask, as all these people are totally worthless, why do you bother wasting your valuable time and voice and sarcasm on them? Because I get paid for talking about it. That's my job. That's what I get paid for. That's, you know, that's how I earn my living. Very good living. That's how I earn my money. I earn my money through watching these television programmes, reading the newspapers. That's, that's what I do for a living. You know, if I was a jewellery maker, I'd be sitting here making jewellery, but I don't. I'm a radio presenter, and I get paid money for doing it, which is very good. Jeff and Stain's absolutely right. It's Buckler's Hard. That's the old village, and it's really good. It's like an old smuggling town, and they've got some of the old houses set out there, which they've refurbed inside. It's well worth going to if you've, if you've not been down to the New Forest. At one time, I thought it'd be lovely, because it's so pretty. The New Forest is so, so f- pretty. I mean, it really is wonderful. Is Robert Pattinson that guy... Who was going out with that woman who slept with the producer? Yes, yes. And I think they're back together, but whether it's permanent, I don't know. Or whether it was just done for the film. I'm not sure if they're actually going to be uh, together. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how that one's working, actually. I'm, I'm really not sure. Uh, 84850. Joe says. Uh, a friend of my sister developed a lump on the bottom of his foot. Doctor fobbed him off twice with foot cream. Anyway, after going back and getting referred properly, diagnosed with cancer that had spread through his body, died a couple of weeks ago after just 18 months. Uh, it just goes to prove doctors do misdiagnose. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I've, I would never say that doctors were absolutely perfect. They're as, they're as fallible as the next person. It's just sometimes the symptoms don't show themselves. Uh, Bob in Manchester says, why are things being turned blue for Diabetes Day? I've no idea. He says, I'm type 2, but I didn't know about Diabetes Day at all. As far as I'm concerned, every day is Diabetes Day. Because you don't kind of sort of lose it. Although there are those people who subscribe to the fact that you can have it cured by drinking certain potions and everything else. Uh, Alison Phillips, I forgot to mention the headline. When she was talking about Helen Flanagan in the jungle, the headline is, we've seen your boobs, but where is your brain? And the answer is, she says, we've now brought up, you know, we've, it's, it's, it's a little bit more... She said of a dismal time now to bring up a young girl because they're surrounded by these vacuous images of stupid people. When you look at the picture of Chloe Sims and people go, oh, I want to be like her because she's photographed by the press all the time. And you think to yourself, it'll be over in about six months. She'll be an old has-been, tossed on the scrap heap. Nobody will want her. Nobody will be interested. And then it's a case of it isn't a career. It's something you do for a little while. Whereas I think radio is a career. I didn't originally, to be honest with you. I really didn't think it was a career all these years later. Um, Tom says, I wouldn't say Helen Flanagan was dumb or slow, but it takes her an hour and a half to watch 60 Minutes. Thank you. I mean, she's an embarrassment to women everywhere, but these are the ones that you see. You see them on the television all the time, and people aren't interested in it. They're just interested in the fame. They're interested in how famous you can become, how, how quickly, and how much money you can make. And, and Chloe Sims, you know, she's wearing an outfit today. It's, I mean, it, it wouldn't look out of place at some cheap fashion show. You know, that, that, the whole thing about The Only Wears Essex is that they really are dumb. They really are incredibly dumb in there. Most of the women, I mean, you, Lauren Goodyear, who's going to pitch up a thing in The Dancing on Ice, once you've seen her being interviewed a couple of times as herself, you'll suddenly realise she's thicker than you can ever imagine. That's why it was a bit of a challenge for Mark Wright, I should imagine, to go out with her. Uh, another one here. 
from... She seems what? He's very... Oh, he's very intelligent. <laughs> Obviously, his standards are particularly low, I think. I don't... Wow, it's Trump's, I'm not a fan of Mark Wright. He's got this question... No, of course not. Oh, God, no. He's, he's got what I call one of those evil, non-showbiz smiles. He just doesn't... You know, he looks a bit, you know... It looks a bit false. Looks a bit false. And I watched somebody on the television yesterday. Was it Dermot O'Dreary? I can't remember. Or oh, it's Ollie Murs. Can't... Can't bear him either. Isn't it funny? They seem to come out of the same packet, these people. And they sit there wearing clothes that don't fit. And, you know, you look at them and you think, what, you know, what is your role in life? I mean, Mark Wright, I think, has already filmed this show, which goes out January time. Not strong enough, obviously, to go out Christmas. And he's done it with that girl who used to be with Des O'Connor, Melanie Sykes. Melanie Sykes and Mark Wright. I'm not sure what sort of combination that is. <gasps> Dear me. Uh, anyway... Uh, very quickly, let's find out uh, what Paul's saying this morning about Kakati. He says, um, did I hear you mention yesterday that Katie Price, Katie Price, is comparing herself to the Julia Roberts character in Pretty Woman? I thought she was a lady of, to put it politely, ill repute. Yes, and Helen Flanagan considered a trophy by the boyfriend, stuffed and mounted, presumably. The old ones are the best and you won't use that one. Oh, absolutely. I saw her as a head on a wall. You know when you have the, the, these people go out that not me, but I've been in bars before where they've got a stag's head on the wall. I see Helen Flanagan's head on one of those things with a, with a thing underneath, you know. Finally lost her way in the jungle, which was quite funny. But, it's, but we're laughing at her. You know, nobody's ever going to take her seriously. And at the age of 23, her career, I mean, now she's proven to be so dumb, that's, that's the embarrassment. That's the embarrassment about it. Nobody's ever going... The one person who I wanted to do quite well is her out of birds of a feather. I wanted her to do very well, but she's, she's retreating further into the background and she's not coming forward enough. So all the programme is about is about the silly ones. Nadine Doris. I mean, I'm not... Is it Nadine Doris? I'm not interested in her. She's a silly little MP. I mean, who cares about her? I didn't even know who she was beforehand. Helen Flanagan I knew about because there were loads of pictures of Helen Flanagan, but until then she'd not opened her mouth. And, and she's sort of shown us what she's really like. God, blimey. I wish she'd go back to doing what she did before. Paul says, the red balloon of regular on Sky Arts is on again tonight at 12 midnight. As you said the other day, a cracking little film. It is. It's a super little film. One of my favourites. I've got, I've got certain favourite films. I love The Man Who Never Was, one of my favourite war films. And I was Monty's Double. Again, love the music, love everything about it. The Man Who Never Was. was I never know if these are true stories. I never know. It was a story of, in the war, we needed to find somebody who we could convince the Germans. Well, in fact, we, we needed to find a body that we could give to the Germans uh, to prove that we were going to be invading somewhere else. And so they had to find this man who looked as though he drowned. So they had to go to all the mortuaries in London to find a man. Then they had to ask his parents, could they use his, his body for military purposes. And so the man's father said yes. So they created a false identity for this almost, you know, for want of a better description, unknown soldier, which meant they, they put bus tickets in his pocket, a letter from his tailor, money in there. But strapped to his wrist was a briefcase. And in the briefcase were fake plans of where we were planning to invade next. And the idea was to launch him from a submarine... And then the Germans would find him washed up on a beach. They would go, oh, my God, somebody's fallen overboard, but he's got this briefcase. He's got these things. Right, this is where we move the army to try and work out exactly where the British are going to attack. And it was called The Man Who Never Was, and he was, he was buried. Now, whether it's a true story, I don't know. 
I believe that the I Was Monty's Double was a true story. Great film. Great film. If you've never bought them, they're, they're part of the British War Collection. You can buy them on Amazon. Quarter past five. <laughs> and this morning, with Nick Ferrari, what's it like to live next door to Abba Katada? And does Jordan hold the key to solving the diplomatic crisis surrounding him? The Culture Secretary will be telling Nick about her plans to help women get back to work after having children. And the paper review this morning is the Deputy Editor of the Sunday Express. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Rachel Jane. The excitement of mentioning your name, Rachel. <coughs> <coughs> Another picture of Zara Phillips in the paper today, wearing um, a, a picture of elegance until she turns round. Bit of a fashion faux pas. The trouble is, they, I've discovered that members of the royal family, with the exception of Catherine, have got no idea how to dress. They've really got no sense of fashion at all. I mean, both... I mean, she was wearing the other day flip-flops with a sequin dress. It looked a little bit like one of those dresses the flapper girls would wear. And then yesterday... She's wearing the wrong shoes with a dress and a top that doesn't match. I mean, it's just... And a, and a peculiar little hat, like one of those little fashionista things. And she's apparently... She's enjoying a lucrative assignment. She's the new face of Magic Millions, one of Australia's most popular thoroughbred horse sales and race meets. She's staying in a £700-a-night hotel. She's quite clearly ready to milk it for as much as she can get. She's in country life, advertising tractors, if you please. She'll do anything for the old uh, proverbial shilling. She's working on a promotional photo shoot, and uh, she's 14th in line. 14th in line to the throne. She doesn't receive any public money, as her mother, Princess Anne, rejected a royal title for her at birth. Oh, I bet she's really fed up with that one. Can you imagine? I want to be Princess Zara. Well, you can't be. You're just Zara Phillips, aren't you? But uh, she's not any great beauty at all. But uh, she, she's not shy about her royal connections. In fact, any, anybody in the royal family milks it for all they can get. You've got to. You've got nothing else going for you. Your life is, is probably quite miserable. The only people who seem quite normal, don't they, would be... Um, would be people like William and Kate. I mean, th- they seem to have a relatively normal life. I don't, I don't see anything else here. Uh, here we go. Dottori faces a world ban after failing a drugs test. Really? Frankie Dottori. Good Lord. The 41-year-old tested positive for a prohibitive, prohibited substance following a meeting at Longchamp Racecourse in Paris where he took part in four races. The revelation has caused a sensation in the racing world. Dettori, famous for his exuberance and flying dismount, was awarded an MBE and has become a major TV celebrity. He was a one-time captain of A Question of Sport and co-owner of restaurants with chef Marco Pierre White. He used to have fish and chip shops, I believe. But uh, his, uh, his wife answered the door the other night and said, I don't know anything about it. Frankie's in Los Angeles and Catherine is in Hertfordshire with one of the children. It was unclear what drug he allegedly tested positive for and his solicitor didn't return calls. Oh, blimey, that's a bit, bit of a come down, isn't it? Oh, dear me. I mean, I'm a bit sorry about that. I thought people liked little Frankie. Little Frankie de Tori. He used to have a restaurant in Chiswick. It closed down due to lack of interest, I think. But he, he did say on an interview once that he used to have fish and chip shops, and he said they were the best time. He said they were the most lucrative things. Make a lot of money with fish and chips. But I'm a little bit worried about failing a drugs test. There's rumours about what sort of drug it was. But uh, I hope it's nothing, nothing major. I'm hoping it's just one of those silly little things. He's taken in some cough medicine or something. If it isn't, it uh, could bring around the downfall of Frankie de Tori. <gasps> Dear me, honestly, it just goes on, doesn't it? Just goes on. Then there's the uh, the MP in the papers today, and this is disgraced former Labour MP Margaret Moran. Fiddled £53,000. She's a fraud. But uh, she can't be punished. Why? Because uh, she's too depressed to stand trial. 
So she's too depressed, can't do anything, crying and this and that. She's a thief. She's a thieving little so-and-so. I mean, for example, November 2004, OK? This is how stupid this woman is. £576 for a washing machine, refrigerator and kettle for her Westminster flat. May 2005, £181 for a locksmith. March 2006. This is what she actually put in. All fraudulent. £87 for a gas fire. May 2006. She got carried away this time. New carpet fitted at her Luton home. £2,679. May 2006. A mattress and a bed. 527 Duplicate invoice used the previous year. She's, a quite, she's an old fraud of the worst possible kind. Then, uh, October 2006, £980 for kitchen units and worktop. The kitchen was never fitted. Then she claimed £4,756 in November using fake invoices for the kitchen units. I mean, she's a thief of the worst possible order. April, she claimed utility bills, £2,072 for phone bills. Then she claimed for shower screens, tiles, linen, plumbing, gas services, nearly £2,000 for plumbing, 2000 again for carpet. Used the same invoice for the claim that she'd done in May 2006. £2,350 for gardening. £700 using fake invoices for gardening. Claimed £164 for surgery cards, which were birthday cards. And then, to cap it all, £22,500 for dry rot repairs in August 2008. But because she's depressed, we're not taking her to court. Dear God in heaven. You know, what a thieving old bag she turned out to be. Disgraced? That's putting it mildly, isn't it? What hope for the rest of the country if you can't even trust a bent MP and you can't trust Margaret Moran? She cheated. She's the fifth MP to face criminal proceedings for abusing parliamentary... Not just abusing, that's theft. Theft! Stick her in prison. Stick her in prison. Take everything away from her. Stick her in prison. Why we put up with these people, I've got no idea. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Cyril Smith was a bully who abused hostile boys, claimed an MP. There's a picture of him wearing a, a T-shirt paper saying, I skipped lunch. That was for Save the Children. Apparently he liked spanking. Well, I mean, you can say anything. He's dead now. It doesn't... <laughs> any people who go to suffer out of that one are going to be the, uh, the family. And then a failed asylum seeker who was given thousands of pounds in compensation uh, by European judges who claimed British law had failed to protect her from being treated as a slave. The Ugandan came to Britain illegally on a false passport, passport became a, a care worker and was free to leave the house where she worked. Police investigating the 33-year-old's case uh, decided she was a criminal and a British judge cast doubt on her credibility, describing her story as implausible. But the Strasbourg judges ruled that the woman, whose identify they shielded, suffered a breach of her rights as there was no UK law at the time specifically banning slavery. So the government had to give her £23,500. It's pathetic, isn't it? It really is so, so pathetic. I don't know. Uh, 84... Sorry, 84850.stevenlbc.co.uk. They've done a lovely feature, which will appeal uh, appeal to the uh, the boys this morning, on whose jungle bikinis have given the biggest career boost. So they've looked at all the girls who've worn the bikinis in the the jungle. Tara Palmer Tomkinson, she wore a no-nonsense black bikini. I mean, to be honest with you, Waste of space. Katie Price managed to find that dimwit to go out with. Uh, they say she's rumoured to be worth £45 million and still can't dress herself properly. Uh, Danny Bear went in there, married with two children, lives with surfer husband Carl in Australia. Best place for her. Carly Zucker is a fitness trainer. I've never heard of Carly Zucker at all, I'm afraid. But uh, she went Chelsea's Joe Cole. Oh, we like her, then. We like her. We like Joe Cole. He's all right, isn't he? 
Isn't he? He's all right. Yeah, I think he's OK. Nicola McLean, that was that uh, dreadfully unattractive so-called glamour model. She says, I only like the fake bits of myself. I mean, she, she was the ace bimbo. She's pitched up on a few other things. Samantha Fox... You know, one time, you know, sexy, 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 came out lesbian. Now lives with her manager and has done for some years. Stacey Solomon, um, the lowest score ever in Celebrity Mastermind. Next to, I think, David Lammy, who was so lame it was untrue. Sophie Anderton, bit of a waste of space. Mylene Klass did very well. Keris Matthews, uh, wed her manager, uh, Steve Abbott, did a magazine deal for a million. Anna Ryder-Richardson, worryingly thin on the television. Gemma Atkinson former Hollyoaks actress, and that's about as far as her career went, I'm afraid. But she's 18th in FHM's 100 Sexiest Women list, so that's great. If you made it onto that, you're really, you're really... A, you like her? You like her a lot? Oh, Talisa was number one, was she? Oh, God, it's not... I don't think we'll bother with that list again, then. Uh, Lorraine Chase, good Lord, 61. She said, I'm small busted, but I don't care. Well, me too. Don't worry about it. It's not something we need to worry about. Fatima Whitbread, maybe not again, I don't think. Uh, and Helen Flanagan... And um, fellow fellow camper Charlie Brooks said, Helen is putting her clothes on for a change. People might not recognise her. Uh, too soon to see if she's going to make money from her bikinis, but expect a calendar for 2013, which means she's already filmed a calendar. I thought, as, as long as it's anything where she doesn't uh, open her mouth. OK, that's fine. And Quentin Letts says, should the Speaker's wife be sued? My. I don't understand that last word, my. So should it be absolutely Yes. Absolutely, yes. Sue Sally Burko. I'd like to see her in court. I really would like to see her in court. Just just for my own personal pleasure, I think. I don't know why. I'm just one of those people. It's LBC 97.3. Steve Allen's early breakfast. Look at the time. 5.30. LBC 97.3. Call 08456060973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. They're still asking the big question in the newspapers today because Prince Charles, uh, there was a rumour. Now, I'd never heard this rumour before about Prince Charles, that every morning they line up seven eggs for his breakfast and they're all cooked a little degree more than the previous egg and he decides on which one he's going to eat. Well, I'd never heard that. In all the years I've heard rumours about the royal family and about Charles and things like that, I've never, ever heard the one about the eggs. But on his 64th birthday, he has dispelled these myths and he said that that never, ever happened. There's no mention, though, of the big one, which is... Does somebody squeeze the toothpaste onto his toothbrush? Now, I'm reliably informed that somebody does. I think they have. It'll be... It, you, in, the, in the Queen's case, it's the maid of the bathroom or the maid of the bedchamber, who I think does all of those little things. I'm led to believe that when Charles goes into the bathroom, he sort of takes his clothes off and just drops them on the floor and the flunky picks up after him and they squeeze the toothpaste onto the brush. I mean, it does seem a little bit ludicrous, but you're very, you are dealing with a family who've, who've never done normal things like the rest of us. That's why, you know, when Charles goes, you know, a little funny sort of gag about something, nobody, you know, you just, you just go along with it because he's a member of the royal family. And so if somebody does squeeze toothpaste onto his, onto his toothbrush, well, then that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I shouldn't imagine he's ever ironed anything in his life. I know he went to Gordonston, and that's supposed to sort of toughen up the boys. But, I, I mean, I shouldn't imagine he does anything. Whenever they, they go out, and I'm not sure who it is who's going to be at the Royal Variety performance on Sunday. It might be Charles and Camilla. I'm, I'm not too sure whether they're back. And um, I think it will be a case of 
somebody will lay out the clothes that they need to wear. So for every... I mean, it must be a nightmare, mustn't it? When they go out to ceremonial things, they have to make sure they've got all the right medals. Then the moment the thing comes back, then it's pressed and put away and it's all ready for the next outing. And they would know in advance. There must be some giant wall chart at Buckingham Palace which would tell you exactly what they're wearing for any particular day. The Queen would have a list... Whoever looks after the Queen's clothing, she would have a list. They would know the last time she wore that outfit, where she wore it to, uh, who gave her the speech. Princess Margaret used to sit in the car and they would hand her a little set of cards. So whoever she was meeting, she would know exactly. So she'd better say, oh, yes, you grow, you grow tomatoes or something like that. They, they would come up with something. You'd think, oh, they know all about me. They don't. They've just been fed the right information. It's like interviewing somebody. You're given the information about them from a researcher. And that's exactly the same for the royal family. So now you, you're getting Charles talking about the things which, which he does and things which he doesn't do. And the egg one we can dispel, but there's no mention of whether he squeezes his own toothpaste Christmas lunch is the meal that many people most look forward to all year. You know that Heston Blumenthal's extremely good value, £300 Christmas lunch at the Fat Duck, because it is one of the top restaurants in the country, if that, if not the top restaurant in the country. I mean, it's far more expensive than the London hotels. It was so funny yesterday, because uh, we had a couple of people who weren't quite all there in the brain department going, it's disgraceful, people are starving, people can't afford to put food on the table. I thought, well, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a lame argument, this one. Somebody said, all those people who think Heston's dinner is good value should be dropped onto a desert island without thinking that to get the plane to drop you onto the desert island, which you've had to rent from a multimillionaire, would cost you more than Heston Blumenthal's dinner. But they didn't think about that because they didn't quite have the brain capacity. And so I said, you go round to some of the London hotels, you're looking at serious money for Christmas and New Year's Eve. It's the time that they make money, except the fat duck. The Fat Duck in Bray, Heston's restaurant, is not open over Christmas. You can have your Christmas menu leading up to Christmas, but he closes for three weeks. As he told us on In Conversation, downloadable at lbc.co.uk, he said, we're packed all the year. He said, so Christmas time, we give the staff time off. He said, and the reason we do it is, A, because we're packed all year round. Secondly, the suppliers are just getting rid of old stuff. He said, and I won't have old food in the restaurant. He said, I, you know, people pay good money for this. I make sure that they get the very best. So Marks and Spencers, in retaliation, have now come up with one of their ultimate sandwiches. And it's called the Christmas Dinner Sandwich. It's about time that they upped their uh, their gain in the sandwich department. Pretty pretty poor, I'm afraid, Marks and Spencers. They haven't changed their sandwiches for ages. We did Marmite for a little while, and that was considered a novelty. And they've done egg mayonnaise, and they're, 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 all their stuff is exactly the same. You'd think by now, Marks and Spencers wanting to keep ahead of the game would be upping the sandwich ante. They're far better flavours elsewhere, but they've got this Christmas dinner sandwich. So the first course is smoked salmon with cucumber and dill dressing. How, how uninteresting is that? Uh, the second is turkey with pork and chestnut stuffing and smoked bacon. And to finish, there's a layer of brie, grapes and chutney. Now, this is absolutely wonderful, but the thing is you should not touch it with a barge pole. And I'll tell you for why. Because this sandwich comes with a high calorie count. 785 calories for a sandwich. Now, most of Marks and Spencer's sandwiches, a lot of them, are huge. My boss is very funny about the calorie count. We were eating bacon rolls from Pret-a-Manger uh, over the road. And he, 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 picked, he picked it up, the wrapper, and he went, Steve, he talks like that, Steve, do you know how many calories are in this? It sounds a bit like Fred Arkwright, doesn't it? But anyway, so I said, um, no. 
because I hadn't, I, I never look at the calorie count, I should do really, he said there's 600 calories in, he was horrified that there was 600 calories in this bacon, and so I thought, he's probably right actually, it's only, it's two bits of bread with I think some garlic butter in there, and some really nice, very tasty bacon, normally the bacon that you get in most places is rubbish, it's cheap, rubbish bacon, this is really good Canadian it, it tastes like maple bacon. It's really, it's got, God, it's gorgeous. And they give you a good portion, and I like a good portion, you know, when you've actually got the roll. Oh, it's oh, delicious. But anyway, I'm not sure that I would go for the Marks and Spencer sandwich at 785 calories. Because, you know, Christmas lunch is on average 1,000 calories. But that's for Christmas lunch. You've got roast potatoes, you've got your sprouts, oh, sprouts, 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 love sprouts. But I mean, 1,000 calories is all right. That's spread of a sandwich at 785. is nothing short of ludicrous. Nothing short of ludicrous. So as far as I'm concerned, I cannot say you should be eating that because it, it's not good for you. It's way too many calories. It's also going to be way too expensive, I'm afraid. Way too expensive for many of you. Uh, 84850, Steve, do you eat in the car? Never. 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 Uh, and I hate people eating. I got on a bus the other day. A bus. Oh, anyway, so I get the bus from Kingston's. I've been out to do a little bit of light uh, shoplift, <laughs> shopping. And, uh, and so I'm sitting on the bus and there's a woman sitting, not directly opposite me, but sort of nearly opposite me. And she's eating food out of a bag. And it's sort of, it's cooked food. And I'm sitting, is it a foreign thing? Is it a foreign thing, people eating food on the bus? It's disgusting. It really is. I sat next to some, I didn't have any choice actually, it was only seat free. A short while ago, two women of indeterminate appearance and, uh, and wherever they came from, eating a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken on the bus! What common people they must have been. And the other thing that really gets me at the moment, and I'm not sure whether or not it's going to go down well with you, because I don't like to complain, as you know. I'm not a complaining person. But twice in one day, I saw people taking dogs into Starbucks. Now, as far as I'm concerned, it's a food place. You do not take dogs into a food place. You leave them tied up outside. And these people were taking their... their, And I'm thinking, oh, disgusting. Taking your dogs into somewhere where there's food being served. No, thank you. No, thank you. Outside with you. One particular woman, in, in one place I saw, actually put her dog up on the couch next to her. Dirty, filthy people. Don't do that. It's not nice. You don't take dogs into restaurants. Guide dogs, yes, these weren't guide dogs. They were two little pugs. Ugly dogs, ugly dogs. But, you know, absolutely ridiculous taking dogs into Starbucks. I remember mentioning it to my friend Michael, who is a dog lover. He's got three, four, I think. Uh, and he said, oh, no, you don't take dogs into Starbucks. He said, it's a food place, isn't it? You shouldn't take them in there. You know, otherwise you don't take your pet rat in, do you? Why should you take dogs in? Definitely not. So uh, no more of that, please. About time the Starbucks staff started um, started clamping down, I'm afraid. 84850, steve at Can anybody out there, says Johnny, give me some good advice on staying in denial about my age. My eldest is 39 today, and although I had him when I was 18, how can I still fib to people I'm uh, in my 40s? He'll be at the job centre today, where he's worked for quite a few years, and as he recently told me, there seems to be a lost generation out there struggling to get work, but so ill-equipped. He's probably right, but what about Dad and his flipping denial? Typical kids, eh? So happy birthday, little Marlon. And uh, Johnny still going to the gym in search of, in search of vanity and, uh, and training Ruth. Well, it is this hanging on to the ageing process, isn't it? It's hanging on, it's holding on to your youth. It's holding on to, to trying to think that you look younger. I've, I've started limping when I sort of head for seats on buses now. And I'm now one of the people who sits in the seat that says, this is reserved for disabled people. I like to sit there. 
Do you know, I have... Nobody's actually given up their seat for me yet, but I'm sure it's not far away. <laughs> I said to Sarah Millican, she was telling me how old she was, and I told her how I was, and she didn't express any surprise, which I always think is a bit depressing. You know, when you tell somebody their age, normally people say to me, you don't look your age. She never said a word. She'd never said a word. I was, I was quite miffed about that. Uh, on the subject of The Man Who Never Was, with Clifton Webb and Robert Fleming, was a true-life story and a fab war film. I'm sure that we made several attempts to deceive the Germans so that we could be one step ahead of them. It was very interesting. The Man Who Never Was. If you're going to get a film out, by, by that one. Uh, Margaret Moran is not the only cheat. Uh, Google expenses. Oh, the, for, for lots of other people. Yes, I'll have to check that one out first before I mention it. But there's loads of companies, aren't there, not paying their tax properly. Is it Amazon who've just been given a bill for 159 million quid from France because they haven't paid their proper taxes? <laughs> Arthur says, Steve, the official got suspicious when Frankie Dettori picked up and carried his horse to the winning post. <laughs> the strength of ten men. Yes, this was a story in the paper today that Frankie Dettori has uh, allegedly tested positive for drugs. We don't know what drugs, but uh, that's, that's definitely blown it. See, if you can't leave dogs outside restaurants, they get stolen. Um, well, you just have to... Well, don't take it out then, leave it at home. Who steals dogs? Oh, I know who steals dogs. I know of certain... Let's say a certain group in the uh, community who, who steal dogs and then send ransoms in afterwards... I think they tarmac drives as well, some of them. <laughs> so I don't think they all get stolen. Uh, why is there not a cure for the dreaded diabetes, says Alan in Enfield. If only we knew. If only we knew. Uh, reprints Charles, Steve. So a bloke goes into the bathroom, drops stuff on the floor, and it's picked up by his flunky. In our house, it's called the wife or mother. So, Char- But, I mean, you don't do that, do you? If, if you're, I mean, we had, uh, in our house, a basket in the bathroom, and you put your dirty washing in there. So you go into the bathroom. If we'd left it on the floor, we'd have been carpeted, literally, by, by my father or by mother, my, my mother as well, because we had a basket. And so you picked up your dirty washing, opened the lid of the basket, and you dropped it in. And then, then your mum came and, uh, came and looked after it. Uh, Steve, I wish you wouldn't talk about food, says Jim. After your description of chocolate cherries, I spent a fortune at Lakeland. So easy to do. So easy with all the sweets and the chocolate cherries. And they do, um... What else they do in the They do, which I can't have because it's just too bad, crystallised fruit. <coughs> and I love new berry fruits because they've got a liquid centre. So you bite it and the liquid will dribble into your mouth, which I absolutely adore because I like liqueur chocolates. But I tend to prefer the liquor inside, the booze, to the actual chocolate. So I used to bite the head off the little bottle and tip it into my mouth. But there was never enough booze in there to make any difference. Anyway, hardly be getting in the car and over the limit. But I just love these crystallised fruits you get at Christmas. Anything like that. And, and, and proper cherries dipped in, in chocolate. And they do another one in the Lakeland catalogue, which is a mixture of raspberries, blackberries and blueberries, like a puree inside chocolate. Oh, it's delicious. Can't have it all the time. Of course. I must, I'm the, getting the world's terrible diabetic. I really am awful, I'm afraid. Uh, another one here. Says, uh, you hit the nail on the head, describing that disgraceful thieving MP. She should have to pay it back working full-time on minimum wage. Yes, I, I, mean, it's, I mean, I find it absolutely disgraceful that she's too ill to stand, uh, to stand trial. Wasn't, wasn't too ill to thieve the money in the first place. Um, ta-da, ta-dun, ta-dun. Read The Man Who Never Was, the Navy officer who was a senior barrister who thought up the idea Montgomery Hyde wrote a book about it. Yes, I have the book. I have the book. Uh, Steve, the man who never was, um, the body, uh, 
that the man has died. He'd taken rat poison and he was an orphan with no siblings. Well, they, his father was there. So in, in, in the film, his father is there. He had to give permission and a guarantee by the British government that they would give him a burial afterwards without naming him. It's like the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior in West... I've missed my out time again. The Tomb of the Unknown Warrior in Westminster Abbey. I mean, that's a really, really interesting story. It's uh, 13 to 6. <laughs> Everybody's telling me Operation Mincemeat was the story of the man who never was. Completely true, says Graham in, uh, in Chelmsford. Yes, it was, it was Clifton James, wasn't it? I think it was M.E. Clifton James. And I've got the book, and I, f- I can't remember. If, oh, I found it on uh, Amazon, the book. And it's, it's very... I've not read it. I've just, I've just got it. Perhaps I should read it at some point. And uh, another true story, says Dave. I mean, it's, it's a great, great film. If you've never seen it, it's, it's worth... It's worth looking at, and if you've never been to the secret bunker in Essex, you must go to it, because it's intact. It's had nothing taken away from it. It's just that all the bits you want to see behind the big doors with the big, big turning things on the front, you can't go through. Uh, Shane in Gatwick says, both Monty's double, the man who was, uh, I was Monty's double, and the man who never was, both true stories, the latter well documented on a Channel 4 programme a few years ago. Thank you. Stephen Enfield says it was Operation Mincemeat. Oh, dear. Yes, it's amazing how many of you know these things. We must be talking to a certain, a certain age. A certain age. Uh, so it's completely true. When Charles broke his shoulder, apparently his valet squeezed his toothpaste. That's the only time, says Jay. I, would, I mean, it's, I don't believe that the royal family do anything. I do believe the pictures that we were shown in the papers uh, a couple of years ago of the Queen and Prince Philip sitting down for breakfast at a formica table. Those of you over the age of 40 will know very well what formica services are because we had them in the kitchen before people went in for marble and other expensive things. And they sat down quite, you know, and I was never sure if it was true that he had the copy of the paper ironed. I'm never sure whether... I have heard of people having it done before. Um, uh, Steph in Gravesend says, uh, Have you ever been to Coweth Park, part of the Dorchester Group in Ascot? I went there yesterday for afternoon tea. You'd love it, because you're high standard. Stunning setting, stunning service and stunning food and drink. I have had tea at the Dorchester. Had that a short while ago. That was really good. It was about... It varies. Tea in London hotels varies. Either between £30 and... £45, something like that, for afternoon tea. But you can eat as many sandwiches as you want. It's delicious. They're they're all good. I've done it now at the Savoy. I've done it at the Ritz. I've done it at Fortnum & Mason's, and I've done the Dorchester. And the one I liked the best, the setting I liked the best, was the Dorchester. I did like that. Blooming nightmare to park. But it was was good. Steve, the Prince of Wales isn't that intelligent. He talks to plants. Um, Well, I've talked to, uh, to plants before now. Have you never talked to plants? It's quite normal. <laughs> it's quite good. And uh, Anne says, M&S trying to up their profile. You are not a good advert with a sandwich. What about the clothes? What about the clothes? Well, the st- sandwich, I think, is just dreadfully, uh, absolutely dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Uh, Imogen, thank you very much indeed for, uh, for that one. I cannot uh, read it out, as you can well imagine. Uh, but... Uh, I wish you well with it. Uh, up on LBC with Steve Allen. Somebody's written here, we're talking dogs in Starbucks. I don't... You see, I don't like... I mean, I love dogs. I just don't want dogs in Starbucks. Well, I thought it was against the rules of taking a dog anywhere where there's food being served. And I tell you the other thing Starbucks do, which really annoys me. They've got the two tills, and then they've got a big basket with water in, which they place right in the middle. So you have to lean over. 
You know, and I'm sure it's some sort of ploy or something to sort of get me to lean over a little bit closer. I don't... I, don't, I know exactly. I don't like that kind of thing. Uh, shame on Margaret Moran for using depression. I'm not sure if she's used depression, uh, but it, it seems to me that she was perfectly capable of thieving, and then we had the breakdown, and we had this, and now she's not fit to stand trial. So do we get our money back? That's, that's what I'm... That's what I, I hope... That's what I hope. 84850, uh, Lynn says, a few weeks ago I got on a local bus during the school run. A young lad smiled at me and offered me a seat. I thought he'd given it to me because I was a lady. Some moments later I read the elderly disabled notice. Got off the bus a bit grumpy. I can well imagine. Yes, I, I do sit there, but if an elderly person gets on, I do stand up. I'm, I'm quite polite in that. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. But I tell you what I hate is when you stand up and go, would you like this seat? And they go, no, thank you. And you don't know what to do then. You don't know whether to sit back down again and stare into the distance. I find that quite embarrassing. So if, if you're an elderly person, if you're an elderly person and somebody offers you a seat, for God's sake, please take it. Please take it, because we get very embarrassed if you, if you, if you don't take it. Uh, on the subject, um, somebody's saying, uh, Charles sacked one butler for not putting enough toothpaste on his toothbrush. Uh, do you know what I bought? I bought very cheap the other day. Bananas. I bought, I got a big bunch of bananas from Paul Cooper. Quid. A big bunch of bananas. And I've, so I brought some in today because I quite like, uh, quite like bananas. You're not supposed to, uh, eat that many of them, are you, Dave? It's the potassium. But a lot of, a lot of, um, tennis players, I think, eat bananas and stuff like that, which I suppose, I suppose is good for you. I'm, I'm only recommending it after this sandwich from Marks and Spencer's which turned out at about 758 calories, and we all decided, we think, in this day, this is their Christmas sandwich, we think that's too many calories. Uh, 84850. Um, backlash is building, says Mark. I noticed on Facebook last night, Amazon posted a general question on their Facebook page about housework. However, several of the answers were narky, pay-your-tax-type responses from people. Is the backlash building? I don't know, pay-your-tax. What's that mean? What does that mean? I'm just about to get my, my tax bill in. Oh, dear. Steve, a sign of age, says Ian. Terrible shock when offered a seat on a bus for the first time. That means that you've really hit old age. When, when, you, when somebody offers you a seat, you know you look old. I picked up one of Prince Charles's butlers in my cab, says Richard, and he assured me Charles squeezed his own toothpaste. I could never tell, you know, a fib. If, you're, if you say that that's true, I, I would say that was true. Uh, the... Uh, the story about the body that was planted in the ocean during the war is true, says Joe in Gravesend. Operation Mincemeat, the body had a briefcase chain with the fake invasion plans. The Germans completely fooled by it. There's a brilliant book out of the account. They did, uh, what they did was they, um, they put in his pockets and they, they, they were going through it saying, right, if we put in here, this is, he's just been to the theatre. So they had a couple of tickets in there for the theatre stubs. And uh, this is uh, a receipt for some shirts he'd just bought. In case the Germans wanted to check... They'd actually been to the places and they'd made sure that somebody had been to the theatre and that some, because the Germans checked, the Germans started checking on certain things and they wanted to know about the shirts, whether this person had bought them. And so everybody was briefed in the shop. Yes, he was in here only a short while ago. So, so they had to verify that the man was real because they had agents over here. It really, it's, it's really very, very, I might even watch it again today. It's such a, I've convinced myself to watch it. I've convinced myself to watch it again. Uh, there's a couple in the paper today who once uh, lived in the splendour of a £2 million house. They had a Ferrari, a Bentley and a BMW in the garage. Blimey, three cars, that's very posh. And these days, property developers, Michael and Carol and Gat, are effectively penniless. 
Um, they lost their business, their home, and everything they owned because of what they say was a simple banking error. They claim that the bank, in this particular case it's Barclays, told credit reference agencies that Mr Gatt was over his agreed overdraft limit. And so the building development company that they ran for 22 years subsequently collapsed. They lost everything. Much of their furniture was sold off, as well as their fleet of luxury cars. They had to move into a house owned by their son. I mean, it must be absolutely awful. I was talking to somebody the other day who who had it all. A job, uh, marriage, children, and then the marriage collapsed for, for no particular reason, apart from it just collapsed. They just sort of fell out of love. And now this person hasn't got anything at all. They've moved out of the house. They've got nothing, and you think, things can change so quickly. You know, one minute everything's all tickety-boo. I don't know if anybody won the lottery last night. Did anybody pick up the £133 million? I'm just waiting for my uh, little email to come in from Camelot. Dear Steve, the ticket you bought for the uh, thing yesterday has, uh, has won you. Then you click on and it goes £3.26. You think, it's not the same, is it? I'm expecting a little bit more from Camelot, so we'll find out that. And I must tell you the story about the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior. All of that after the news, which is next. On FM, online and digital radio, London's biggest conversation. This is LBC 97.3. Hello. Somebody said, Steve, a small dog in certain eating establishments would be regarded as a nice starter. <laughs> Don't even go there, thank you. Uh, Robin Forrest Till and a number of other people say it looks like the Euro Millions jackpot was won last night. The jackpot now stands at 11 million. Oh, I'm even very depressed. I'm very depressed now if somebody won there. And uh, somebody says, come round where I live in Enfield, you'll see dogs in supermarket. Really? Who takes dogs in supermarkets? Oh, dear. And then Anna wrote to me and said, uh, you know, because you were in Austria, people take them into restaurants in Austria. Yeah, they, they do. They did. I don't think they do now. Don't they do now? And the trouble is, it, in, in our, I don't want to see dogs sitting on the seats where we sit down. I don't even like people putting their feet on seats. I'm a bit funny about that. And if I, if I went into a restaurant and there was a dog in there, then, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to eat there, really. You know, because not, not all animal owners, as you and I know, Anna, look after their dogs as well as they could be. I've seen more people prosecuted over... There was a, a couple a short while ago proclaimed themselves to be animal lovers, and they had, I think, over 60 dogs that had to be taken into care because they were so... In such terrible states, they were just barely living. It was really dreadful. Ken says it was a ticket holder, won the Euro Millions, but it wasn't a UK ticket holder. Oh, no. Oh, no. Please don't tell me that. I couldn't bear... I couldn't bear the idea. I couldn't bear the idea that it went to somebody from Belgium again. Please, God, no. Why can't it come to somebody here? Uh, Steve, I think the elderly refuse the seats because they have trouble getting up. So please don't find it rude. No, these these are the ones who are standing up already. I don't mind the other ones. And, um, and Stephen says, I was in a restaurant enjoying a meal when a person in a group who arrived was seated close by, had the worst heavy, sickening fragrance on. Very selfish. Oh, people, I mean, I, you know, aftershave is quite nice. People put that on, it makes you smell nice. People like that. But not, not too much in a restaurant. It's going to overshadow the food, isn't it? Uh, afternoon tea at Claridge's. Fabulous, says Margaret and Sath Croydon. Absolutely fabulous. Twice I've been there. Want to go again? Great show. Usually listen on podcasts, but awake early for once. Yes, I'm glad that you are. We're waking up a bit earlier. I'm very glad. And uh, and Jill says, my husband's grandfather named Newberry Fruit, so he always buys some. He's diabetic too. It's the worst thing you can have if you're diabetic, because not only is it all just sugar, it's got sugar on the top of it, and it's got that liquid centre. It is the the worst that you can have, uh, that you can ever have, I'm afraid. Um... 
I hear the Cafe Royal is almost restored and reopening as a luxury hotel, says John. I, 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 I might visit. I might. I might not. I don't know. Actually, I haven't quite decided. I'm still waiting for Selfridges Hotel to open again. That one seems to have been closed for ages and ages. Uh, over the last two weeks, Steve, you were talking about the lady who had cancer. I'm having tests now on my lymph node. I'm very scared. Be not scared. Be not scared. It is, it is you know, something that they do all the time. They do it all the time, and uh, they do it very well. There's, there's lots of books about cancer. There are so many different cancers. There's a very good one called Living with Cancer. People live with it for ages. You know, it's, it's not always that, that death sentence that people think it is. You know, pe- people do get it. And, uh, and it can be, it can be sorted out, provided you catch things early. It's, it's taking away the fear of somebody going to the doctors. People don't like going to the, men in particular hate going to the doctors. They won't go and they won't have anything looked at because they're, they're, they're too frightened that the doctor's going to find something else. But you should go. Women are great. Women are fantastic at doing anything like that. They'll go, they love, they love to go to the doctors. It's a bit of a gossip. Go have a chat to the doctor about something. I always talk to my doctor about things. They're really good. In, in, the, in the doctor's surgery where I go to, they're all brilliant. They're all absolutely brilliant. They're all really nice people. And I get my judge, I do spend more time in there than most people. But they're lovely. They're really, really good. Very, very good. And um, <clears throat> uh, Joy says... Uh, I bought a banana in Marks and Spence. I scanned the banana. The price was 40p. So I said to the assistant, it was more than I wanted to pay, so can you cancel it? She she said, yes, it's for people in a hurry. So she just pressed banana, and then it was 10p. All right. Why why would you buy one banana? Who buys one banana? Who buys one banana nowadays? Go out and buy three or four. Goodness sake, go and buy them. Uh, The Sun on the front page are running with the Frankie de Tori story, and the reason they're running with it is because they're saying... The banned substance is believed to be cocaine. Now, I mean, I'm not naive enough to think that cocaine isn't rife in in every industry, from show business all the way through to pubs and everywhere outside clubs and all the rest of it. But it, it would be very, very disappointing. Very, very disappointing if, if that's what it was. Uh, a source said at Longchamp in France, it's very serious. Well, it would be. It would be. Although, I mean, I've often <laughs> been an advocate strangely, of, of somebody, you know, saying, let's just, let's not worry about drugs. Let's not worry about anything like that at all. Why don't we just have the drug games? So if everybody's taking banned drugs, you're all starting at the same level. Because we spend so much time, you know, finding out what, I'm not, as I say, I'm not naive enough to think that there's not people, I've probably worked with people who take drugs before. I probably know people that take drugs. But as long as I don't take drugs, I'm fine with it. But I would, I would hate to think that this was, a, was, a, was a, a true story. We'll wait and see what happens. I'm sure there'll be more coming out over the, over the next few days. But I always liked him. I always liked him. I mean, it wouldn't change my opinion if somebody, strangely, if I discovered, you know, if I discovered the producer took mind-bending drugs, it wouldn't change my opinion. I'd still think he was an idiot. Not going to change anything at all, is it? It doesn't make any difference. As long as it doesn't affect me, I don't mind. You know, I'm sort of... I'm, unfortunately, I'm, I'm one of these susceptible people. You know, I'm very easily led. Very easily led. Somebody says, well, why don't you try this? I mean, now, I, I would have done that years ago. But, uh, but don't, don't sort of do it now. I don't do anything like that now. I mean, you know, I do do drugs on a daily basis, but luckily they're ones given to me by, by the doctor. It's, it's bad enough watching drunks in town. I think there's nothing sadder than watching drunk. I mean, I have, in my time, probably been drunk a few times. You know, and I have probably fallen over, and I have sort of, you know, had my usual, my usual sort of scare of thinking, I'm never drinking ever again, I'm not going to do that ever again. And we always do, don't we? We always go, oh, next week sounds fine, I'll go and do it. <laughs> but I just don't understand when people do drugs. I've seen people lose businesses on drugs. 
because they get so carried away with it and, and it starts with one thing. Didn't they say, wasn't there on a survey, they said if you, if you stopped all the drivers coming into London, you would find more than 35% of them had taken drugs the night before. Which I thought seemed an awful lot of people. Have, it seems high, doesn't it? But, they're, but they're, dry, they're, they're driving with drugs in their body. Whereas, because I don't do drugs, what a boring person I must be. I don't do drugs and I wouldn't, I wouldn't drive whilst I'd had a drink. But having watched them at Twickenham Station the other day, and uh, the students being stopped, and they were students, they were students who were being stopped. It, it's obviously far more common than I thought it was. Uh, Steve, read dogs in eating place. I saw a, a member of staff in a sandwich bar pick up a small dog, stroke it, hairs on her apron, then prepared sandwiches. <laughs> don't. I remember, I came in here once... It's got nothing to do with eating. And there was a long black hair on the desk in front of it. I kept thinking, well, it's not mine. Who could that be? It's not Clive Bulls. I couldn't quite work out whose black hair it was. And then I kept finding black hairs on a daily basis in the studio. It's odd, that, isn't it? No, just me again. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Graham says, re-early mornings. I'm the same as you, being a lorry driver. He says, uh, go on, big girls' blouses. I tend to have early starts, and on the weekend I'm always out and about by eight. No better time. I love it. I love it. I mean, I absolutely love it. Um, 84850, steve at Do you think there's anybody in Belgium saying, I hope nobody in Britain wins the Euro lottery? Lester goes, you people definitely exported racism. Oh, don't be so stupid. <laughs> what a buffoon you must be. What a buffoon. Oh, dear me, honestly. Oh, dear, I think you need to get... What is that on your shoulder? It's called Harry Ramsden's, OK? If you can work that one out... <laughs> I hope nobody in Britain wins the Euro lottery. Mm, racism. Oh, dear, honestly, you need to get off your little small soapbox. Uh, 84850, uh Jane Moore today. We like Jane Moore. And uh, she's talking about tattoos. And there's one here on the gymnast uh, come Strictly star, Lewis Smith. And it says on it, what I deserve, I earn. I d- do you know, ta- you got any tattoos? No. Why, why have you got no, no tattoos? Because they, they wouldn't sue, you know. The producer wouldn't have a tattoo. So there you go. And uh, I wouldn't have a tattoo either. I wouldn't... Well, I wouldn't have one done. No, I wouldn't. It's compulsory. I wouldn't have a tattoo done. I wouldn't have any wording or sort of mum, dad or whoever. I just... I just, I just think they're naff. You know, it's... it's We've got two tattoo parlours in Twickenham. We must have really gone down the U-bend, I'm afraid, on this one. Uh, George Michael's estranged friend, Andros Georgiou, or something like that, writes Jane Moore, says, I don't want the next time we meet to be at his graveside, as he's flogged George memorabilia on eBay and now chosen to cash in on a tell-all book one suspects it will be. Yes, I'd forgotten they were ex-friends. Ex-friends. Coronation Street actress Helen Flanagan, we use the term very loosely, is currently unravelling before her eyes in I'm a Celebrity. Wild-eyed, frizzy-haired and scatterbrained, she's clearly an unhinged, gibbering wreck who should really be evicted forthwith for her own peace of mind. On second thought, she's also immensely entertaining, so let's vote for her to stay. In other words, let's vote for her for all the uh, the Bush Tucker trials. I think that would be fantastic. Don't you think so? Quarter past six. LBC ninety seven point three three. Morning, Nick Ferrari. This morning, what's it like to live next door to Abba Katada? And does Jordan hold the key to solving the diplomatic crisis surrounding him? The culture secretary tells Nick about her plans to help women get back to work after having children. And looking at the papers today, Rachel Jane, deputy editor of the Sunday Express, will be in. Uh, the stories in the papers. The Sun have got uh, Lord Patton, who appears to have ten jobs. 
which uh, net him about an extra 200,000 a year. What people were complaining about, I noticed, with Clive Bull, who was covering uh, overnight for Duncan, who's not very well at the moment, is that um, they don't like MPs. They don't like the MP Nadine Doris going out into the jungle because uh, they say she's paid to do a job uh, as an MP and she's supposed to look after her constituents. Well, she's not remotely interested. As I told you at the beginning of the programme, she's apparently registered with an agency which looks after, wait for this, don't laugh, Nancy DeLolio and former East 17 stars. I can't imagine there being much work for them around. And she's also set up a show business company, Averbrook, describing herself in registration documents as a writer, commentator, stroke, TV radio personality. For that read... Nothing. Nothing at all. Don't bother with the Christmas light, Steve. Since when, somebody says here, was a Marmite jar Christmassy? Well, they're sponsored, aren't they? In fact, I went into, uh, where was it, Selfridges the other day. And in Selfridges, they had gold Marmite jars. And I said to a friend of mine, what are we doing there? And they said, something to do with the Christmas lights, and they've got gold flecks in Marmite. Oh, dear. Uh, I like Marmite. Don't get me wrong, I love Marmite, but I don't think... You know, you'd think that all the shops in Regent Street and Oxford Street could actually afford... I mean, this is among some of the richest shops in the, in the country, if not the richest. you think they could afford to actually pay for their own Christmas lights, as opposed to having them sponsored by Marmite. Seems a bit odd. You're right. I think one year they were sponsored by Birdseye. Perhaps they haven't got any money, all these shops. It's, uh, it's, it's strange there, isn't it? Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, another one here. It says, um, I'm 54 years old and I've got a ribbon tattoo in orange and green. Green represents self-harming and orange mental health. I had it done for symbolic purposes, says Helen in Helga in Dulwich. Phil says, maybe, maybe we should have a tattoo with, um, with another one here. And, uh, it's, and it's, uh, it should say best before, best before date, which is quite funny, actually. 84850. Uh, steve at lbc.co.uk. Tony, no, she never said that at all, I'm afraid. Not at all. And uh, no no apology necessary, I'm afraid. No apology necessary. No nothing. No nothing. No no nothing at all. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Sorry to disappoint you on that one, but there you go. Not the brightest penny in the box, are you? Daz says, buying rolls from a local bakery, uh, the woman behind the counter put down a sandwich she'd been eating and with the same hand grabbed the rolls. Yeah, they... D- yes... Oh, I don't, uh... Strange, that one, isn't it? No, Tony, nothing at all. I think perhaps you've got some chips on your shoulder. Can't help it. It's not your fault, mate. Damien says, uh, traffic works at junction... Traffic traffic works at junction 5 on the M25 delays until 2014. It's a nightmare. (laughs) 84850, steve at uk. Another one here. On the subject of I was Monty's double... Uh, here's one of our licensed cab drivers. He says, uh, his name's Ken. Steve, it was H.E. Clifton James and I was Monty's double, actually playing himself as he was the real Monty's double, used to fool the Germans in World War Two. All right. All right. So now we know. Uh, there is a new Sil- Superman film coming out with a British actor who is called Henry Cavill, playing the Man of Steel, says little Julie. Ah, so now we know. Now we know on that one. So a new Superman film, in the same way that they were doing... Uh, I said earlier on, a new, um, not a new Superman film, a new Dad's Army film, but they're going to change the fact, and they, they're going to change Captain Mannering and make it a female part. Very odd, isn't it? Um, 
Uh, Paul in Manchester says, you just mentioned you never ate food in the car. Surely you used to. What about the ribs you'd pick up on the way home when you did overnights? Oh, well, that was years ago. That was years ago. I mean, yes, I might have done that years ago. I wouldn't do it now. Far too messy. And, uh, and also the fact when you've got cream, cream leather seats, not going to, not to work at all. Um, 84850, steve at lbc.co, that you can't. Um, oh, pay your tax. The reference was, says, says Henry uh, at Outlook. He says it was news headlines last week. And he says here, the OAPs who can't get up not wanting a seat. You said there was... No, what we were saying... You missed... You, I didn't hear it, Henry. No, what I was saying was, when you're sitting down on the seat and a pensioner gets on, you stand up to give them your seat, OK? And they say, no, it's all right. You didn't, you didn't hear that properly. It doesn't matter, actually. You know, I'll try and, try and explain it a little, bit, uh, a little bit slower for you next time. Uh, also, the papers as well today. Quickly, the last couple of minutes. Front of the Daily Mirror, Freddie Starr. I'm not allowed to be alone with my own kids in my own house. He's, uh, he's complaining about the, uh, the treatment at the hands of the press. The Daily Star, the £5 million a year smirk. That's what you'll pay to keep an eye on Freed Katada. Uh, big, big, big uh, in Leicester Square this evening. It's twilight and uh, the, the fans are already out there. They've been there for ages and ages and ages. Daily Express on the front page. Uh, why women want to look like Holly Willoughby. She apparently is the favourite. Uh, the Independent, thriving schools facing the axe to make room for academics. Daily Telegraph, Burko's revenge on expenses. John Burko's been accused of rigging appointments to the Independent MP's expenses watchdog in revenge for its crackdown on what members can claim. And The Times, cold, hungry and abandoned. The, uh, the people on the border of a catastrophe. And this is refugees in a camp to see if they can cross into the border into Turkey. We'll do it again tomorrow morning. Thank you for all your uh, texts and emails. Always very much appreciated. And uh, we'll have a free podcast for you up in about 30 minutes. Don't forget, I'm here all over Christmas. Christmas Day, Boxing Day, Christmas Day. I can't remember which days it is, but it's uh, all over that and then all into next year as well. Next on LBC 97.3, The Morning News with Susan Bookbinder.